There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. This is now playing podcast review of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We're not that good. Definitely not. We're professionals. Definitely. And uh, we're partners. Co-workers. Part of now playing's Avengers and Marvel Comics movie series. The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Us mightiest heroes. Never heard of them. Hosted by Arnie. Be yourself. They're gonna love you. Jacob. Yeah, you're all right to come to me. Arrogance, but right. And Stuart. I have a feeling they might be a part of the big three. What are you prepared to do? At NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find reviews that span the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. You still know when to give up, do you? I can do this all day. But be warned. This episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and mildly objectionable language. Hey, Guru. Whoa, language! Listener discretion is advised. Gentlemen, you're up. We hope you enjoy the show. Showtime, a-holes! Today, we're discussing the Falcon Winter Soldier, starring Sebastian Stan, Anthony Mackie, Wyatt Russell, Aaron Kellyman, Danny Ramirez, Georges Saint-Pierre, with Daniel Brühl and Don Cheadle, directed by Carrie Skogland. This is the Now Playing Podcast co-host who's looking down on you from the moon, Arnie. And Stuart. And this is white podcaster, Jacob. And we're back in the Marvel Universe. We didn't have much of a break. Is there too much of a good thing? I think that's something we'll be discussing on this show. But WandaVision ended. A couple weeks off. Enter Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Less episodes, six episodes, about the same runtime. And a strange pairing for a show. Like, Wanda and Vision made sense. They were an obvious candidate because they were an established romantic couple. But what relationship do Bucky and Sam have? I mean, it's always been the joke that, like, Bucky and, like, Cap had something going on. But I, I never understood why these two would get together. I Oh, it, it makes sense to me, having read the comics. I mean, they have both been Captain America. This is the series I was most excited about for the Disney Plus stuff. And, yeah, I, I was expecting a lethal weapon, salt and pepper, odd couple... You know, but bigger level than just being a street beat cop, you know, uh, superheroes and all that. And yeah, I thought that the main storyline is who is going to take up that mantle of Captain America. Because again, Bucky has done it and Falcon has been Captain America. They were going to fight for it. They both wanted to be Captain America. No, I didn't think they were going to fight, but it was going to be a debate. I I felt like this was going to be a discussion about what America is and who we are now and what we were. And yeah. And I think that in Civil War... Sam and Bucky kind of became an odd couple because Bucky was Captain America's sidekick 
in World War II. Sam was Captain America's sidekick in modern day. The two had a little bit of strife in a funny way. They teamed up to be beaten up by Spider-Man. And, you know, they just had some banter in Civil War that was a lot of fun. So I was looking forward to seeing them actually get to be explored more. I mean, again, like we said about Wanda and Vision, these guys are definitely B-list characters. I felt like this was the only way that we were going to get to spend a lot of time with them and get to know more of their characters. Yeah, someone called me out on the now-playing fan group on Facebook. They're like, Jacob said during Winter Soldier when Falcon was introduced, ah, too bad this guy will never get his name in a movie. He'll never have a movie about him. Well, we got a TV series that his name's in. So, Marvel, you proved me wrong. You could go deep. Well, you said movie. You said movie. (laughs) You're not wrong yet. And I'm trying to remember. I mean, here's the thing. And I don't know if you guys are experiencing it or not. Arnie, I imagine... You're having less of it than I am because you watch these movies habitually. It's not rare for you to just throw on one of the 20-some-odd MCU movies and just have it running in the background. But Can I clarify? It's not odd for me to throw on one of the Captain America or Iron Man movies or Avengers movies and have them on in the background. Maybe Incredible Hulk or Ragnarok. It's really rare that I decide... Ant-Man and the Wasp. Let's do that. How often does Dark World get played? It has been played once. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I I get that. But I mean, be that as it may, I drop in and out of this series. I may see them, you know, twice at the time that we're doing the recording. And then I rarely get to go back. So like these are hazy memories. I don't remember Falcon and Winter Soldier ever hanging out in a movie. I don't remember them having any kind of relationship. They seemed like BFFs of Chris Evans in different eras. And like they've never played together. They had no established chemistry. So why are they getting their own show? The title indicated to me, it actually made me think of a Brat Pack spy movie from the 80s called Falcon and the Snowman. And that was about (laughs) Sean Penn and Timothy Hutton. They ended up being like spies for the Russians. I assumed this was going to be a spy movie with these two getting involved in Russia and probably finding out what happened to Black Widow. I thought that they would tie in with the Scarlett Johansson movie because that was supposed to be out at the same time that this was wrapping up. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, Stuart, I'm not going to Brat Pack 80s films, but I was excited for this one because my favorite film of the MCU, Winter Soldier, like, I love that there was all this political intrigue, there was all this stuff hinted out about Black Widow's past, and then we went to space and Thanos, and, like, Marvel really didn't want to deal with that in the cinematic universe. It was about building up this huge Avengers Endgame and Infinity War and all that. So I thought, oh, okay, this is the perfect place. We could get back to some of that political intrigue. So, I, I'm again, I'm not thinking about Sean Penn going to Russia to spy, but, yeah, I did think we're getting to get something more based around that kind of mission than space aliens. And did you not think Scarlet was in this? Like, neither one of you? No. No, I never thought that. No part of me thought this. This was supposed to come out after Black Widow, by the way. Just to remind everyone the timeline that should have been, this was going to be the first Disney Plus series. (laughs) It was going to launch in spring or early summer 2020. They were filming, had to stop for a long time. WandaVision was able to get back together because that was all backlot and soundstage. Here, they had to wait quite a bit longer before they can refilm. And a character we're going to meet here was supposed to be introduced to us first in Black Widow. 
So this was following Black Widow specifically, not vice versa. Be that as it may. I, again, I really assumed she was going to be the surprise pop-up for an episode guest star. I mean, that is how every episode feels. I'd say you'd never get Scarlet for a TV show, but I still swear I saw her in that Loki trailer. But if you haven't seen Civil War recently, if you only have hazy memories, mm. there's a lot you're going to not get. This series is full of callbacks to little moments they had in Civil War, specific things. There's a lot of echoes of previous character moments for them, a lot of jokes that are kind of told in a different way. A lot of this that made me smile made me smile because, oh yeah, Civil War, <laughs> you know? That's how it really went. And also, I guess I just forget. I mean, I go pre-pandemic to conventions all the time, and Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie are amazing together in real life. Like, they banter, they talk shit, they are so fun. To me, they're like coupled at the hip, including sightings of them together at strip clubs after the con. So <laughs> it's like, I think of these two as really good friends. I just didn't realize, I guess, until you mentioned it, that yeah, I guess other than Civil War with a few key moments, they've not had a whole lot of interaction. I mean, Bucky hung out in Wakanda for most of Infinity War. <laughs> I'll just say that Bucky has always been harder for, I mean, starting with the name, I've never really connected with him. He was like taken out of the first cap really fast. We were told he was this good friend, but like fell off a train and okay. And then he became like this goth emo, like, uh, you know, I loved Winter Soldier. It's the best Marvel movie, but like, I feel like he worked as a villain, but not necessarily as a sympathetic character. And yeah, Civil War to me was about Chris Evans versus Robert Downey Jr. I don't remember Winter Soldier in it. I don't even remember Zemo in it. Winter Soldier was what they were fighting over the whole time. It was basically a love triangle. You say that, and yet all of my visual memories that I conjure have to do with Cap versus Iron Man and big fights at airports. And whoever Zemo is, to this day, I have no idea what he did. He hated super soldiers. He wanted to kill Bucky. Well, he also hated the Avengers. He was the mastermind behind everything in Civil War, operating in the shadows, framing Bucky for bombing the Wakandan embassy he was trying to destroy the Avengers because he came from Sokovia, which the Avengers... I mean, technically, Ultron destroyed Sokovia in Age of Ultron, but the Avengers created Ultron. Oh, there's a lot of regulation that came out of that, though. Like, superheroes got blamed, too. That, those are Sokovia Accords are thick. Okay. I mean, he was not an interesting villain. We all admit Marvel has a problem with those. and He wasn't very dynamic. To say nothing against Daniel Bruhl, who's a good actor, but like, he wasn't one of my favorites. And so the fact that he's going to come back in here, I didn't know much about what I was going to experience. I think that's becoming pretty clear. <laughs> yes. You want Sean Penn in the 80s, and that is not this. <laughs> and I actually really liked Zemo. I mean, I thought he was an interesting character. And he's got such a history in the comics, but I don't really know him from the comics. But I was curious how you could work this guy back in. What is his story now that he had avenged his family and broken apart the Avengers? What more is there for Zemo to say? The only thing I knew coming into this was that Kurt Russell's kid was playing a chump 
Captain America. And I assumed he was the villain. I assumed that like this would be the movie where we could comfortably position Captain America and maybe America itself as a problematic force. And I also heard something weird about like bank loans and superhero like <laughs> salaries and such. And I couldn't tell whether they were talking about Anthony Mackie getting paid or Sam getting paid. But it seemed to me like this series wasn't hitting with all audiences, namely action fans and teens, because it had adult concerns. I don't think it's adult concerns, but... With WandaVision, I watched that in two nights. I, I really binged that one. This one, because I was excited for it, I'm like, I'm going to watch this week to week, and then I'll watch it all again for a second view and to get ready for the show. And I ended up having to force myself to watch it week to week because, yeah, it, it wasn't necessarily because it was a lack of action. I was just lost. I'm like, where's Bucky? Why isn't he teaming up with Falcon? I mean, we'll get into it, but like that first episode, it is not an and. I mean, it's and as in they appear in the same show, but they never like hang out. I watched this week to week as well. This is the series I've been most excited for because this is the one that felt the most like a Marvel movie. Like, WandaVision was high concept, and Loki is... I don't even know what that's going to be about. <laughs> ...something else that's going to involve multiple realities and time streams and all kinds of strangeness. And this is the one... That feels like a Marvel movie writ larger and that we'd have six hours of action and the scenes that they teased from this of Falcon flying through canyons with all these explosions had movie level special effects and I was just so jazzed for this. And there were a lot of ads for this coming out like we talked about, but did you guys see my what my favorite ad was? They actually had a tie-in with Xbox and they had Anthony Mackie playing Xbox against they got him back. I don't know how they got him. Mainly I don't know how they kept his phone number. But remember the Apple Store employee from Captain America 2, the one that was like specimen and wondering why they were honeymooning in New Jersey? Remember that guy? I vaguely remember them going into an Apple Store to hide out. Yes, vaguely, yes. They got the Apple Store employee to come back and he's now like a Microsoft Store employee. <laughs> and he's playing Xbox against Falcon and then reveals that he is Noob Master 69 online, the one who was tormenting Korg during the blip. Deep cuts, then, for all you yeah. Marvel fans there. <laughs> really? Yeah. The B-side from hell. <laughs> Noob Master 69 is almost up there with I Love You 3000, as stuff people still talk about from Endgame. I want to remind you, you had to point me that out to me what that even meant after I saw the movie. <laughs> yeah, Stuart missed the, the like most heartbreaking line of that movie. Yeah, I was like, what is that from? And he's like, I don't care. what that little kid say? Who cares? Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, even if I wasn't jazzed for it, I would have watched it week to week anyway. But I did watch it every single week. And then I binge watched it for this review. And I'll say, do I like WandaVision, it does a lot better when binge watching because... Around week four and five, I was scratching my head a lot about who these people were, especially a key moment at the very end of the series. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, who the hell is that guy? Yeah, I did not remember that gentleman. <laughs> and binge watching it, it becomes a lot more clear. That's pretty much how I saw it. I did two episodes on one day and then four episodes on the other. So within the matter of you know, 48 hours, I had the whole story. And it was easier to understand all the digressions because of it. 
are there comic book origins to this? Is is this a well-known or riffing on a well-known run? Oh, not a single run. Like every person we're going to talk about in this, like has either like been a Captain America, Battlestar has been a version of Bucky. Like, yes, there's been a lot of Captain America and Bucky's like so many ties. I will say that I read some of the Sam Wilson, Captain America run, but my favorite was the one I'd recommend the most is called Truth. Red, White, and Black, I think it's been retitled Captain America Truth, and that might be how you find it published today, but that is the story of Isaiah Bradley, and a great comic. We could talk more about when we get into that character, but yeah, that really goes into his history and tells his story. That, pretty recent, like, he's a World War II character, but it wasn't until 2003 that we got this character created and this whole backstory made, so that's the one I'd say to read, but again, like all the Marvel stuff, it, it's pulling little names here and there, or, or you know, John Walker, We'll talk about him. He's been U.S. agent. He's been Captain America. Yes, it's all pulled from the history of Marvel Comics. I figured. Okay. But they do it in their own MCU way where things aren't going to totally work out like they did on the page. Yeah, like Flag Smasher in the comics is just a dude named Flag Smasher that hates flags and hates nationalism. Like, But here <laughs> they'll make it a little bit more realistic. Mm. How exactly does one smash a flag their cloth? His introduction starts by him going to the UN and like knocking down all the flagpoles. He really hates <laughs> flags. That would be where you'd go. If you really don't like flags, they got a really great display there that you just would go nuts for. Head to Rockefeller Center's next. <laughs> It doesn't look like anyone that is involved in this series has been responsible for any Captain America movie previously, or really anything Avengers. The director, and I know we already talked about the director is not necessarily the one that's creatively in control. No, but this is the director of Children of the Corn 666, Isaac's Return. Wow, it is? <laughs> I missed that on the resume. Oh, the, well, the, you've gotten much better. I saw Handmaid's Tale and some other TV and figured, oh, okay, they had cut their teeth on doing episodic television. There is life after Children of the Corn, apparently. Mm, and that was one of the worst ones, but... <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah, the writer, I guess the writer is going to work on the next Captain America movie, but had only worked on Empire and a few other little things. They basically, they assembled a writer's room, again, of people that probably have not had their moment yet, and this is their chance to shine, much like WandaVision. The director also had done some episodes of the Punisher TV series over on Netflix, so she had some connections to people at Marvel. And the main creative control was Malcolm Spellman. Yeah, the head writer. Yeah, the showrunner, the lead writer, and then also Delon Musan was one of the key writers of it as well. Those were the two who had the most control going on here. And I had read ahead of time, Spellman was really looking forward to looking at what it meant to be a black Captain America, that this was going to really be a discussion about race. And it is not subtle. That was sort of the weird thing about this series was I just assumed that Sam was going to be Captain America at the end of Endgame. And then early into this, and again, knowing that Kurt Russell's kid is coming in, I had no idea where we were going with that story. But yes, it ultimately, if this series is about anything, it is about setting up Captain America 4 with a new guy in the lead. But let's find out what they did. Arnie, give us the plot. In Avengers Endgame, Hulk put on the gauntlet, snapped his fingers, and in an instant, he brought back to life billions of people on this planet alone. It undid Thanos' evil act five years earlier, reunited families and friends with those thought lost forever. But 
Turns out, if you add billions of people to the planet all at once, that causes some problems of its own. During the five years when the people were gone, the survivors were able to travel between countries with no impediment, and the real estate market really was a buyer's market. <laughs> I don't understand this conflict, but okay. You just get to move into rich people's homes. Yeah, people returned from being dusted and found new people living in their homes. <laughs> it's like the three little bears. Who's been sleeping in my bed? A Latvarian. <laughs> <laughs> To rectify this comes the GRC, the Global Repatriation Council. They're taking charge of finding immigrants, putting them into camps, and sending them back to their original countries. Because a lot of people don't want to be put in camps and sent back to their countries. Enter the Flag Smashers, a group of terrorists or freedom fighters, depending on your point of view. They're gaining in popularity, doing strikes to steal medicine for those trapped in the camps, and other attacks to undermine the GRC. More, the Flag Smashers got hold of some super soldier serum. The group's council, including their leader, Carly Morgenthau, played by Aaron Kellyman, are all superpowered. The U.S. military is trying to stop the attacks, so in comes ex-Avenger turned government contractor Sam Wilson, better known as the Falcon, played by Anthony Mackie. At the end of Endgame, Steve Rogers passed on his shield and the mantle of Captain America to Sam, but Sam didn't feel right taking the name, so he donated the shield to the Smithsonian. So it's as plain old Falcon that he's investigating the Flag Smashers. But he's not alone. Against Sam's wishes, he's joined by Steve Rogers' best friend, James Bucky Barnes, a former Hydra assassin called the Winter Soldier, played by Sebastian Stan. Bucky is trying to come to grips with his life, seeing a government-mandated therapist and making amends for his wrong deeds. Bucky is upset Sam just gave the shield away, so he follows Sam on the missions and they become reluctant partners. But also hunting the Flag Smashers is... Captain America! When Sam gave up the shield, the government pulled it right back out of that museum and gave it to decorated veteran John Walker, played by Wyatt Russell. With his friend Lamar, also called Battlestar, played by Clee Bennett, the new Captain America is out to stop the Flag Smashers, but Sam and Bucky don't want to work with this wannabe. In researching who made this new serum, Bucky takes Sam to meet Isaiah Bradley, a U.S. veteran who was part of a group of black soldiers unknowingly subjected to experiments with super soldier serum. Isaiah was the only one to survive and keep superpowers, so the government locked him up and experimented on him for years. But Isaiah doesn't have any information about Flag Smashers, and desperate for leads, Sam and Bucky turn to Baron Helmet Zero, played by Daniel Bruhl, reprising his role from Civil War. Zemo hates super soldiers of all kinds, and thus became an expert on them. They break Zemo out of prison, and he leads them to a scientist in Madripoor who created the serum. And in Madripoor, they meet up with Sharon Carter, former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent who helped Captain America in a couple of movies, and because she sided with Captain America in Civil War, she's now on the run, selling stolen art in Lawless Madripoor. With her help, they find the scientist who made the serum, but Zemo kills the scientist to stop more super soldiers from being made. This upsets mysterious mob boss, the Power Broker, who commissioned the super soldier serum. The Power Broker also has a bounty out on Carly for stealing the serum. And as if all of this wasn't enough, 
Enter the Dora Milaje, elite Wakandan fighters. If you remember Civil War, like Stuart doesn't, Mm-mm. Zemo is responsible for the death of their king T'Chaka, as seen in that movie. So these warriors have come to capture Zemo. With Zemo's help, Sam and Bucky almost get to and reason with Carly, but John Walker comes in beating people up, so Carly loses trust. In the fight, Zemo is able to destroy all the remaining super soldier serum, save one vial, which John Walker takes to overcome his feelings of being an inadequate Captain America. In a fight, Carly kills Lamar, so in public, John uses the shield to kill one of the Flag Smasher super soldiers. This is caught on cell phone camera, and John is stripped of his Captain America title. The Dora Milaje capture Zemo and take him to super prison The Raft, and now Sam is ready to take up the mantle of Captain America. The Wakandans give him a new white and blue flying suit befitting a winged Captain America, and he and Bucky go to stop Carly from blowing up the GRC building in New York. A huge fight ensues where Sam and Bucky are aided by unlikely friends. John Walker, who's trying to make amends with an aluminum foil shield it looks like, and Sharon Carter, who came to this country despite being a wanted fugitive. (laughs) Sharon saves Sam's life at the end of the fight by killing Carly. With the Flag Smashers defeated, Sam gives a speech to the GRC senators to do better. And then he flies off to be Captain America in the future with Bucky as his wingman. And Sharon Carter gets her pardon and is reinstated as part of the U.S. Intelligence Committee, only to find out she is the power broker and ready to sell America secrets as credits roll. You didn't even mention Julia Louise Dreyfus, the best part of this thing. Oh my God, how, mu- how much more could I put in a plot summary? This is, I, I'm like trying to cut, cut, cut. I'm like, do I even need to mention Lamar? I need to mention Lamar. Okay, do I have to mention Isaiah? Well, I have to mention Isaiah. <laughs> like so much in this. They really have chalked this full of character beats that become plot points. Yeah, and if you're going to have a six-episode series, you need to do that. And, and and it's global, too. I believe this whole production like had five or six different countries that it shot in. They were really thinking epic here. They were trying to think something even bigger than what had been done on the screen, which is, again, hats off to ambition. I love that. Yeah, they had to shut down for months due to COVID because it was at times worse in other countries. They were only able to resume filming very late last year and early this year to finish it up. I don't know what was filmed when. They Good job to the continuity supervisor, too, because I can't tell. I also love the fact that it becomes, actually, I see the spine in evidence. There is a, a real similarity to the way Sam Wilson and Bucky Barnes live their life. Both of them are, are in the shadow of this larger public persona. One is trying to live up to an image, one is trying to live down an image, but it makes them interesting opposite sides of a coin. Almost instantly with this first episode, I get why they're the hook for the series. Sam doesn't want to be Captain America, and that, that's where we start. That's kind of a shocker, because I thought that was all said and done by Endgame, but we see in the first scene, Sam is putting on a three-piece suit, not the Captain America suit, and he's going to hand that shield off to the Smithsonian. And I think they wanted to really just get into that, but, you know, it's a TV show, and in TV, you got to grab your audience. So first, we're just going to have a really gratuitous fight at the Libyan-Tunisian border. Yeah, this is basically the trailer that hooked me. It was just a lot of this flying in and out of a canyon. 
and it means nothing. It looks great, but... I Excuse me, whenever Patrock the Leaper appears, it means something. Well, when giving this the second watch, I'm like, who are they trying to save, and what border can't they cross that gives them their ticking clock? And yes, though, they did bring back Patrock, that wrestler, Georges St. Pierre, or MMC fighter, but he's back from... Winter Soldier. I'm, I like the continuity. I like that they're bringing back some of these minor characters. He was a mercenary then. He's a mercenary now. It makes sense. And Stuart, you're right. This opening scene is a grabber. It got my attention. But I made a prediction the first time I watched this. I'm like, we'll never see anything this good again until maybe the last episode. They really put the money in here. This does look cinema quality. Really? I'm going to actually push back on that a little bit. I think the effects work looks great for TV. There are some seams here when he's flying around, particularly when he gets into the canyon. I feel like some of the effect shots, they would have fussed over a little bit more if it was going up on IMAX. I feel like you can tell this is not quite movie theater ready. You know, watching this in a home theater, which is a far cry from a movie theater, but in a home theater, I couldn't tell. Yeah, it looked fine on my TV. I watched the Marvel movies a lot on that same screen. (laughs) Okay, maybe I just have... uh, Now you're the snob. What a twist. Yeah. Now let me just... I'll put it out there. I'm talking this scene. Later, there are some issues I picked up on. Oh, when when they fight on some trucks, it's bad. Okay, all right, all right. Yeah, I guess I was talking about in total. No, no, I'm talking... No, my prediction was when I first saw this is that they will never top the scene until maybe the last episode. They're not going to try anything this ambitious from episode to episode. No, and... It's a shame that it has so nothing to do with the plot. It just is here to introduce Sam to his new sidekick, Torres. Is that Torres they save? No, it's Vasant. Like, there's some liaisons. That's not Torres? No, no. Torres is on the ground. He is, like, feeding information into Falcon's visor. Information like... There's some terrorists. I mean, like, it's like, I don't know what is more helpful than to peek into the cockpit and see, like, people shot, but. In Torres, it should be noted, he, in the comics, does become Falcon because, guys, it's comics and Red Wing, you know, that little drone that flies around in this series? That's actually a, a real Falcon in the comics that has a psychic link with Sam Wilson. Like Beastmaster. <laughs> yes, and some bad guys, they, like, use Red Wing's DNA to merge it with Torres, and he, he'll he become the new Falcon when Sam Wilson becomes Captain America in the comics. So does he have a psychic link with Sam Wilson? I don't think he has it with Sam. He retains it with Red Wing. I mean, and we'll see Torres, like, that Falcon suit's going to get destroyed, and it's kind of going to be left with him. Maybe they'll pick that up in something. Yeah, I should really learn this game by now, that if if I'm looking at something and going, they didn't need this character, they should cut him, the smarter thing to do is to say, what superhero will he become in three movies? Yeah, what Disney Plus series will he come back in? Gotcha. Here's one of my questions, and I don't think there's an answer. Maybe there is. Arnie, maybe you've read something or or remember something from one of those movies. But what is the status of the Avengers and and superheroes at this point in the MCU? It feels weird. Like, they're going to get Falcon to do this mission because the military can't be seen trying to get this hostage. So they need... Does he work for the government? He was military. Like, I don't understand how Bucky and the Falcon just run around doing whatever they want. It's very interesting... I mean, it's very unclear what the Avengers status is, but it's probably safe to say that without Tony Stark writing checks and without 
Steve Rogers as lead, there are no Avengers. It just is an organization that ended with Endgame. And what they'll say is that Falcon is now doing government contracts. So he's a mercenary, I suppose, that here I he's working for the Air Force. They brought him in, and he's going to say later on that he's getting paid for these. But they also kind of want to have their he's a superhero bit and he's doing good for good's sake. So they don't draw a whole lot of attention to the fact that this is his day job. The, the subtext that I'm picking up on, I don't know how accurate it is, but in the same way that some people are whispering that the, the days of the American Empire are over, the same sort of cynicism is creeping in on the Avengers. They might be still around, but they are severely limited by treaties and, you know, Sokovia Accords, and there's really a sense that we are moving away from them as a universal police force. Yeah, I, I'm actually kind of angry at the Avengers now. Like, it, it's great that they saved half the population, but I don't know if they really thought that through because the world seems like in a really bad place. Like, as we're introduced to the Flag Smashers, they're very privileged people. They got to live through the snap, but I can understand their plight. The Avengers just needed to think this through a little bit more. Can I compliment, though, Feige or whatever mastermind is doing this for thinking this through more than I think you did when making Endgame? I mean, if you're just making Endgame, you want to undo Thanos' destruction, right? You want to have a really happy ending, and you can't lose Bucky and Groot and all of those people. And when Spider-Man Far From Home came... They treated the people's return as a joke. There was the one guy who's like, well, my wife said she was dusted and it turned out she just cheated on me. And, you know, all those people coming back in the middle of a basketball game, it was funny. But between WandaVision really looking at what happened with Monica coming back after being dusted for five years and now this looking at the global implications, they're not shying away from this. They're really creating real-world analogs with this dusting. It's a lot like they did with the Avengers movie in 2012. They kept talking about the Battle of New York and referring to that destruction and the aftermath a lot like 9-11. Here, I think that bringing the snap in and treating it seriously, and I think they're out of their depth the way they handle it in the show, but I like that they do it. Yeah, out of their depth, I think, is going to be my summary, because you said that the politics of the show are not subtle, and, and I agree, but do they really have anything to say? That I, I think that's the discussion for me. I agree, like, I think this is all really interesting stuff. I would love to see, is there a backlash against the Avengers? Like, regular people, like, don't like the Avengers anymore, because they lost, I don't know, they got to live in Buckingham Palace, because all the royal family died, and they just moved in or whatever. So, yeah, there's interesting things here. I, I like that Marvel has really created this universe that feels lived in and affected from movies movie to movie and by this point it is its own thing go watch all 20 movies if you want to join the club i'll chime in and agree with you guys that i do think that it's really nice that they didn't treat the blip as a cheap plot twist is something that had a huge implication and it has something that has resonance for people living in the real world right now we can look at this displacement in the same way that we're looking at all these shifts in immigration and how disruption in the middle east has led to mass movements of people and displacement in a way that has created a politicized 
climate. Nationalism is high because outsiders are perceived to coming across without restraint of borders. And they've taken all of that heat and all of that venom of those arguments and turned it just comic book enough that anybody, no matter your political persuasion, can sit down and enjoy and think about what they're watching. So here's my question, though. When we get back to DC, where you were talking about Sam handing over the shield, I want to feel like I understand his motivation at that point. He, he feels like it belongs to someone else, but we just saw him do this cool action scene and everything. I felt like I needed more of a reason why he didn't want that shield and, and just gave it up so early in this. I, I thought maybe that would be an end teaser or something, but no, they, they do it very quickly. I kind of thought it was because Steve was his friend. That's what I was reading into it. He said it felt like it was someone else's. He was a bit reluctant to take that shield at the end of Endgame. So the fact that he doesn't know if he can live up to it, I grok it. Then show him failing at that mission at the opening. I mean, let's just call the elephant out in the room. It's race. You want a black man to be Captain America. That is something that's obviously going to be explored in the later episodes. But part of why he doesn't feel worthy is because he fears how politicized that would be for him to take over a mantle of a white man. He gives a lot of lip service to that. Maybe we get one scene where we'll see that, but I just don't see that in in this series. I see it all the time in this series. I think it's very loud in this series. No, no, yeah, it's very loud, but it's not very in-depth, is what I'm saying. It's not very impactful, because it feels like a lot of platitudes are said throughout this. Yeah, and he doesn't say it before he gives up the shield. I mean, we just see him giving up the shield. We don't know why. But I don't think that it's a coincidence that the one person we know in that audience who's there, another fellow ex-Avenger, is Rhodey, Don Cheadle. The only other African-American on the team, I think. Yeah, no, yeah, he definitely is like, why didn't you take this? And he won't be the only one. Almost everyone is wondering what's going on with Sam that he was given. Like, he was bequeathed. He was crowned by the man who had the shield and is rejecting the call. It's a crisis of insecurity. You know, I think there's a lot of reasons. There's also a personal struggle for him. When we see him connecting back with his sister, we realize that all of the superhero stuff has taken him away from family life. And that there is some dynamic there to work through. Do you really need this boat subplot that's going to run through five episodes? How expensive is an old shrimping boat? If Gary Sinise could do it in Forrest Gump, you'd think that the Wilson family could keep this boat in operation. I just think that a lot of time is spent in this series, including in this first episode, stressing over can we afford the boat going to get a bank loan for the boat and not getting approved for the bank loan because you've been gone for five years. You have no income. He has a five-year gap in his credit. (laughs) Yeah, it seems to me like there would be a blip loan. Like, banks know that. Like, half of their clients weren't here for the last five years. But again, I think that that's the excuse being given. The elephant in the room is racism. We don't give loans to black people. We don't do that. I get that to be the subtext, but the fact that this is the Falcon and he's going to get recognized as the Falcon as an Avenger over and over. I mean, and even that, it doesn't get him this loan. Loans don't work like that. Most of the time you can apply for a loan on the internet and they don't know what color you are, you know? I just got a loan and I never met a person. It is this myth that you, you go into banks with folders and say, will you please give us a loan? And it's the loan officer that has any decision-making power. 
But here, yes, it's coming off like the white banker won't give the black man money even if he is a big hero. Yeah, I definitely think that that's the reading to take from this. They don't actually overtly call it out. The sister says, I knew they'd deny me. She doesn't say the words because I'm black. But it's there. It's sitting right there in front of you. It's there if you want to see it. To me, this is now too Disney for me because you want to bring up issues of race. Again, go read that Red, White, and Black series. Like, it is in your face. They don't back down from their point of view. This, yeah, it's there if you want to see it, but we don't want to offend some people that don't believe racism exists in America. We still want them to pay their monthly subscription fee, so we just won't say anything, but it's, it's there if you want to see it. It's kind of spineless to me if that's what you want this series to be about. Well, in this scene, yes, but later on, they're going to punch you in the nose with it. Yeah, I'm hearing two different things. I'm hearing I want subtle sometimes, and then this is not strong enough to deal with the issue of the time. This is not in-depth enough, is what I'm going to say. It's platitudes. It's a comic book movie. I really think it's exactly as in-depth as it needs to be. What I'm saying is there are comic books that are way more in-depth than this. Again, I've cited one. This feels like we want to make sure everyone feels good and keeps paying that money, and we don't want to offend anyone, but we want to also be politically woke a little bit, but they don't want to come out and say it. Well, yeah, I mean, you make that sound like a crime. That's exactly what the walk they're trying to walk. We want everyone to be entertained. We don't want to offend anyone, but we want to acknowledge the times that we're in, and I think that's what good mainstream entertainment should do. I'm going to side with Jacob on this one. They either need to commit or they need to back off, but this is very wishy-washy At times, they back off from it. At times, they jump into it. And we'll get into it later on, but there are times when this show becomes eye-rolling in its preachiness. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing from you guys. On one hand, you're like, they'd go too far, and then I'm hearing, but that far enough. No, no, no. It's platitudes. To me, it's empty preaching. It's saying very safe things that everyone would probably agree with that wouldn't have too much of a problem, but they don't want to actually take a stance. They want to ride that middle line. This series ended the week that the Derek Chauvin verdict was read. It could be a little bit more in touch of what's going on in in this country right now. Okay, I'll just put it out there that I was actually pleasantly surprised by this first episode and seeing that they were willing to take these risks. As someone that thought I was going to watch a dumb spy movie in Russia, I'm like, oh no, this is much more preoccupied with subject matter that would be easy for a conglomerate like Disney to overlook. I just have to ask, where did you get Russia from? Just because of the 80s movie that had the word Falcon in it? And because I believed that that Black Widow would feature into the plot. You talk about Disney, they know how to do this. Like, all their movies, or a lot of them now, strong female character. Let's remake Aladdin and have Princess Jasmine, a strong female character. But it's all just to meet with what people expect today from a hero, or from a female hero, or whatever. It doesn't feel progressive. It, like, this is a story that should feel progressive. Let me just say that I think that right here, you've led off with a huge action scene. You're now into the shrimp boating business and telling me that... Sam has no money despite saving the world, and he says, you know, he wasn't paid by Stark, it didn't work like that, people had a lot of gratitude, so I guess, like, cops not having to pay their bill in a donut shop, Sam could go into a restaurant, and I'm guessing, being Sam, he was eating at five-star restaurants, and they're like, oh, no bill for the Avenger. Now, though, that he needs some real money, the bank is saying no, and we're introduced to his sister, Sarah, and his niece and nephew, which, 
I mean, it's so obvious they call him Uncle Sam, right? Oh, yeah. I'm not sure what you're getting at. That he's going to be Captain America? Yeah, because yeah, call him Uncle, Uncle Sam. Sam. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't really think about that. But what I'm seeing is Sam could get all of these things for himself. But when his sister wants to get alone, when his people want to get alone, it's not like that. He is becoming aware of what a non-celebrity treatment is like for black people in America. But Eddie Murphy could get Arsenio Hall alone back in the day. I <laughs> mean. We could fight a lot and be right about how this is weak in logic, but they're just trying to get at something. Like, you have to go with the artistic intent of, like, yeah, maybe this boat isn't, like, the best thing they could have done, but you get what they're going for. And you get the fact that he is now suddenly thinking about his family in a way and why he left them to be this grandiose great person. It creates an interesting concepts and conflicts for this character. I like the setup. I'm torn because part of me loves the thought of having these TV series so we can explore these characters, especially some of the sub-characters, in more depth than we ever could. And yet here they are doing it, and I'm like, I don't like this. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, I guess what I didn't want was to see Sam and his sister losing money on a decrepit shrimp boat in Louisiana. I just found that to be uninteresting. It's not superhero, and I think that's the risk. You guys are saying this is playing it safe. The huge gambit of this is that we are going to focus on common problems. What it's like to not be super. That's going to be a theme of this movie. Do I want super serum, or am I good enough just as a normal human being? I see that baked into this plot. My frustration is, again, I was told it's the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Now, we had the Winter Soldier in this one. They'll never meet, but yeah, he is in therapy. Again, some more of that real-world consequences, and and I do like this. This person who is brainwashed and obviously has PTSD and been given a pardon, but he's got this list of rules from his psychiatrist, things he can't do, and he's got to go make amends with everyone who he murdered. Well, not he can't make amends with the dead. (laughs) Well, the families. You know what I mean. But a lot of the amends he's making is, like, I helped this senator get into power. My amends are going to be, I'm going to put something in her car so I can control it with my iPad and terrorize her a little bit before the cops arrest her. Yeah, I didn't really understand how that was amend. I was confused because I thought amends, you know, it's about saying you're sorry. And we'll see him like attempting to do that. His whole arc is about trying to say I'm sorry. That's what I think amends are. But yes, I was confused by that little action scene he got. Yeah, Sam will call it out towards, I think it's episode five of like, Bucky right now is in a place where he's full of self-loathing. He hates all the things that he had to do as Winter Soldier. He's trying to live down Winter Soldier in the same way that Sam was trying to live up to being Cap. The fact of the matter is, it's easier to be angry and to use that aggression. Like, that's what he knows. I go around and I hurt people and I kill people, so it's easier for me to hurt the people that I enabled than it is to say sorry to the people that I hurt because I killed their child. And the plot that you're talking about, the real amendment storyline, the last name in the book that he has to cross off is Yori Nakajima. Actually, he has quite a few names in that book, including Baron Zemo. Yeah. I don't know why he needs to apologize to him. He was part of hurting Zemo's family via Hydra. Zemo's a little unclear, but... Zemo's not Hydra? No. No. 
Okay. I for, for some reason, I remembered him as Hydra, but I guess it was the German accent. Yes, Baron von Strucker was Hydra. We saw him a little bit in one of those movies. Zemo's just a super rich guy. Yeah. I really did like the... It's not quite as good as Flying Around the Canyon, but I do think that this dream flashback where you see Winter Soldier smash into this fancy hotel and be throwing knives and firing guns and choking an old man out and saying, Hail Hydra. Like, this was also a grabber. This episode risks tedium in the way that it's going to try and balance everyday experience. Like, I'm going to go on a date in a sushi bar with like, and I'm going to kill everyone in this hotel. (laughs) These moments probably help buoy, if you're wanting an action show, if you're wanting an Avengers movie, you cling on to these moments. I didn't like the shrimp boat stuff, but I really do like this Bucky making amends stuff and hanging out with the old man and that he killed his son and is trying to make up for it. I didn't get immediately that he was trying to actually come out and confess. I thought he was atoning and atoning by becoming a surrogate son to this guy and taking him out for lunch and buying him lunch. And like a surrogate father, this guy's telling the waitress, hey, Bucky has a crush on you. Yeah, his first date since 1943. I forget this guy is 100 years old. 106. Why is he looking like this? Why is he still youthful? Because he was shot up with the super serum when he was captured. Well, he was also put on ice in cryogenic freeze between missions. So he didn't age between missions. His entire life was wake up, go kill, go back to sleep and don't age. Okay. The super serum doesn't prevent the aging process. It slows it down. It it makes you like a peak perfect human. And so, yeah, in the comics, if someone's super old but looks young, it's probably because they took the super serum. But I don't think that they say it stops aging in this universe because look at Steve after 40 years of marriage. I mean, he was looking pretty gray. I think that this was about him being frozen and not really alive during much of his time as the Winter Soldier. It also makes him more like Steve, right? I mean, if you're looking for somebody to hand the shield to, I might have said this when we reviewed Endgame. I certainly thought it. I know in the comics, Bucky was capped for a while and Sam was capped for a while. But for continuity, if you're looking for a super soldier who's 100 years old and has an old-fashioned, old-timey kind of sensibility, Bucky's your man. And so if you want a Captain America similar to Captain America, but you can't get Chris Evans to sign another affordable contract, Bucky's the way to go. But if you want something totally different... I love Bucky. (laughs) Really? Like, you like Sebastian Stan as an actor? He hasn't made any impression on me for any of the movies. Yeah, he was a good antagonist in Winter Soldier. I mean, that was his job there. He didn't make much of an impression on me in the other films, but I really like him after this one. I I want more Bucky. Like, I was really into this whole, like, all the PTSD stuff they explored with him. I really like him in Civil War. Are you saying Sebastian Stan hasn't made an impression on you or Bucky hasn't made an impression on you? Because Sebastian Stan is great in I, Tanya. Well, no, I'm not talking about his other work, although he is kind of generic. I'm talking about, as a villain, he was effective, but all of the work that they've tried since then to make him just one of the gang, he got lost in the shuffle for me. I really feel like his lack of humor hurt him, and they're trying here. Oh, you don't remember all those great times Rocket Raccoon tried to steal his arm. (laughs) I didn't remember that. But I attribute that to Rocket Raccoon and not to him. Again, he's the sourpuss. So what's fun about it? The thing is, he's the straight guy. So people are going to say things to him and his lack of response or his dry response is the humor. 
You think the guy's funny in other Avengers movies? Yeah, he made me laugh a few times in, in this one. Again, I don't remember him a whole lot of those other ones. No, no, I'm not talking about this one. I'm talking about setting him up for where he's at. I have no goodwill towards him. I have all the goodwill in the world towards Sam and not a whole lot of interest with Bucky. Well, that's good because Bucky's going to get the short end of the stick in this movie. Yeah, it's much more of a Falcon movie than it is ever going to be his. But I will just say this. I come around. I, it's not in scenes where he tries to make the Asahi cat stop waving or go on this date and play drunk battleship. Like all of that stuff feels kind of meh. But I do feel like... Yes, the idea that he has got to eventually tell this man, and it will take the whole series for him to do so, that I am your son's killer is a good personal conflict for him to focus on. Even though I think it's a little cheap that, like, he's not really apologizing for what he did. He's apologizing for what he was brainwashed into doing. So, like, that's a little easier, right? Like, he has, he should have no guilt about that. Yeah, but it feels like he's in a 12-step program for being a winter soldier. So much like an alcoholic could say, I was drunk when I killed your son in that car accident. It's still that person who did it, and it's still that person in the 12-step program who has to go and make the amends. And here, I like Bucky's personal story more, but you talk about him getting lost in the shuffle— this is Sam's movie. It's certainly not the Winter Soldier and Falcon. It is properly billed. And in fact, we've discussed it. Bucky has a little bit of an arc in this series. He goes from not able to tell this man, I killed your son, to able to tell this man, I killed your son, to truly atone. But that is nothing. It is a side plot for a lot of the time. I think Sebastian Stan is here because people like him. And because he's associated as a Captain America sidekick, as his Falcon. We'll hear later on that Bucky and Captain America had a big discussion who was going to get the shield. That was not shown, right? That wasn't a part of Endgame, I forgot. It was not shown, but it confirms something that I knew. Because I always said in Endgame, when Steve and Bucky are saying goodbye, Bucky is saying goodbye a little bit too much. And the second time I saw Endgame, I walked out of there like, Bucky knew, and telling my wife that made her cry all over again, because it was such a parting of the ways for those friends. And here, it's confirmed. Steve talked to Bucky and said, Bucky, I'm going to go back, I'm going to spend my time with Peggy when I'm done, and I'm going to give Sam the shield. So, Bucky was on board, and it does make sense. You don't want to give the shield to the guy who, the last time he was in America, got brainwashed and started killing people. Whatever tension there is between these two, it creates the tension that it will take a couple episodes to really get spelled out for you. But basically, Bucky is mad at Sam for giving away that shield. I don't think he's mad about not getting the shield himself. But he is mad that, like, Steve trusted you to do this, and you not taking that says that he didn't have good judgment. And he'll even extract, and maybe he was wrong about me as well, which sounded a little self-involved. But anyway, that is why they're not friends. He's not answering Sam's text. And these two characters start on opposite sides, but eventually have to work together. And we are introduced to a new Captain America at the end of this episode. We, we don't have to wait till the end of the series for Sam. We got him right here, right? This was confusing. John Walker walks out. Like, we get this, Sam's told to turn on the news. And the government, I guess, the military introduces the new Captain America. And I'm like, oh, do they try to clone Steve and it melted? Like, what is wrong with Captain America? <laughs> 
Okay, when I saw this initially, I didn't know that Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn's son was in this movie. I don't know who Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn's son was before this series. Yeah, and I watched a TV series he did, a real fun, strange, kind of a big Lebowski show called Lodge 49, where he was the star, and he showed his comic chops. I think of him as a comedian, so I think of this as being a, a joke Captain America. But when he comes out, and we see him for the very first time... There's something about it that, like, he reminded me of those anti-smoking posters where you see the really old men who have no teeth and their lips are sucked in and their chin is jutted (laughs) out. I'm like, does this guy have teeth or is this meth Captain America? Yeah, he looks like Carl from Up, the old man. (laughs) There was just something, and I did some reading and... They intentionally made his costume ill-fitting. They wanted him to not look quite right in the role. But initially, I just thought that this guy had some problems. So John Walker, I know that name from the comics. He was U.S. agent. We're going to find out later in this series. He gets the name U.S. agent. I remember him from my Marvel encyclopedia of characters and that he had a cool black outfit. I don't know that I ever saw him in a comic. I just kind of thought... He was like a wannabe Captain America. Who is he? He he kind of is. I mean, look, we're going to have to talk about the power broker at some point. But in the comics, the power broker, it ties to the U.S. agent. He's all about wrestling. And so John Walker starts off as Super Patriot, a wrestler. And the whole thing with power brokers, he gives his wrestlers like super enhanced strength. So that's how that John Walker gets his powers in the comics. But yes, he starts off as a wrestler. Super Patriot. But then in the 80s, when this character is created, they have Captain America, Steve Rogers, Captain America, retire. And the government recruits John Walker to be the new Captain America. I guess they were really impressed by the promos he's cut for his wrestling career. But no, this was meant to reimagine Captain America as something different. What if we had a Christian right-wing conservative, you know, believing that country is superior to everything else, Captain America. And and so, yes, eventually he, he does his stint as Captain America. Like, the thing with Walker is he sometimes he's a good guy, sometimes he's U.S. agent, and he's with the Dark Avengers, which you could probably tell, Stuart, you haven't read those comics, but Dark Avengers, probably not a good thing, probably a bad thing. Mm. (laughs) I think he's currently like on the good side, but he's kind of one of those characters that has kind of shifted allegiances and moved around in the comic universe. So I got to ask with the power broker, because everything in Marvel is interconnected. (laughs) Was he the wrestling promoter that ripped off Peter Parker and wouldn't pay him the full money and Peter Parker let the robber get away and when he was Spider-Man? No, no, this is a different league, I believe. No, yeah, the power broker, Curtis Jackson, just a no-name, like, who's Curtis Jackson? He had a company where he worked with a mad scientist and they would, again, give people superhuman strength and they started a wrestling league to promote that, (laughs) but then he'd get you addicted to drugs and you'd have to keep paying him money to keep your power stable and stay strong, so... Bad guy, but yes, all tied to wrestling. Yeah, episode two surprised me because I thought they told me at the end of episode one that we have this asshole. And then, like, the first scene of the new episode and, like, oh, I actually have a little bit of sympathy for this guy. We're going to see some humility as he's trying to put on the suit in his old high school football locker room and feeling insecure. And he hasn't had the super serum. Yeah. Okay. Imagine trying to be Captain America but not having Steve's steroid advantage. 
Yeah, I didn't buy it. I, I thought it was going to be revealed that he had it. Like, we'll see him throwing that shield around and catching it. I thought you had to have, like, super strength to catch that shield. Like, that's why it was so scary when Winter Soldier caught it in that film. Like, oh, here's someone else that's strong. MIT put him through a battery of tests, and so he is a very fit individual. Like, he is maybe the fittest man on the planet, but he's still just a man. He is not a superman. Which is what Captain America is supposed to be in the comics. They say that Captain America isn't super, he's peak. He's as strong as the strongest human can be, but not as strong as Spider-Man or Hulk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a theme of this series of like... What are we willing to accept in people? Is it okay to be normal or do we want something extraordinary? And this guy's got a lot to live up to if he's supposed to be as good as a guy who had super serum in his veins. But I think what pisses Bucky off is he's watching TV and it's Good Morning America, which is a Disney show on a Disney Network ABC So, God forbid he be on the Today Show. No, he's on Good Morning America. And here's another deep cut that really made me smile. That marching band that's there. First of all, they were choreographed by the guy who did Drumline. I didn't notice great, you know, I wasn't paying attention to the choreography. No, they had some good moves. I'm like, why why are they spending so much time showing their moves? This is weird. Okay, that makes more sense now. They got a guy from Drumline there. But what the band is playing is an updated version of Star Spangled Man with a Plan, which was the song that played while Steve Rogers did his whole PRUSO Buy War Bonds tour. It was all scored to the Star Spangled Man with a Plan, and I thought that was a nice callback to bring the new Captain America in. Yeah, it it helps frame the idea that Captain America has always been this symbol for essentially the government. It's a propaganda. And Henry Jackman, they got him to do the score for this whole series. He did the last couple Captain America movies and some other Marvel stuff. He is the perfect choice for this because, I mean, this is almost Captain America 4. And he brings back a lot of the Winter Soldier themes, a lot of the Civil War themes, some of the First Avenger themes. So I think his score gave me a feel that was more cinematic than sometimes the show did. I read that they recycled bits and pieces from other, but this is an original score. Like, yeah, he's bringing those themes back, but I figured they just, you know, go into the soundtracks for those old movies and and splice together something. Oh, God, no. WandaVision, they, and The Mandalorian, Disney Plus, they're not going to keep a penny in your pocket. They released a soundtrack per episode, digital only, $10 per episode. So if you wanted the soundtrack to WandaVision... You could have the $60 digital box set for this? For WandaVision, yes. For here, they scaled it back. They only did two releases, episodes one through three, and then episodes four through six. And I've listened to it, and I like listening to the Captain America scores while I work, and this is going into that rotation, because, yeah, it's newly scored, but has a lot of callbacks. And only $20 versus 80 for WandaVision. I mean, it's not like this has Agatha all along on it or anything. But the reporter asks him, did you know Steve Rogers? And he doesn't say no. Mm-hmm. He waffles. I feel like I knew him. Even though I never met him, I feel like he's a brother. And Bucky's sitting there like, USOB. This guy was my brother. We double dated. We both tried to date Dot. How dare you say this? I think that's when Bucky's like, Sam, you really effed up. Yeah. 
okay, boomer, right? Some of that is like they anticipate that from fans, right? Whenever someone comes in and takes over a role, the old guard doesn't like it. And the word that comes to mind is poser. And I think that's wise. I think if your job is to create a new Captain America after Chris Evans, you want to give us a loser first so that we'll be happy to see anyone else step into the role by the end of this. We're going to be happier that Sam is taking the job because this guy is clearly not up to the task. I thought that exact same thing when it really got to me. It's like, whoever comes next isn't going to live up, so let's just go ahead you know, and have our George Lazenby, right? <laughs> Not even, because again, I think there's something, certainly as we get into it, it starts with the suit and him just looking ridiculous, but I think that he will become really kind of contemptuous. And I don't know where they're going to take this character. I'm curious to know what he's become at the end. But if you are not liking this guy, I think that is the calculation. What is the purpose of a new Captain America? The government needs him to show that they're still strong and in control. Like, Captain America, he was on the bad side of Civil War, the non-Sokovia Accord side. So why do they need this symbol? Like, why is this so important to the government? Because America is coming back. That is the big thing to understand. Yeah, we'll see that poster later. They're going to make America great again, and they need Captain America to do it. No, we're going to just make America again. I mean, keep in mind, during the five years, all the countries gave up all of their individual politics and bureaucracies and became a global council. That's the GRC. And so now they're going back to the way things were and there will be a nationalist sentiment. And what better way to sell that than a American superhero? Slight correction to that. The GRC was created after people came back as the Global Repatriation Committee and or Council. And this is a callback to World War II when America had the Repatriation Council for Asian Americans and we rounded them up and we put them in camps and said, go back to where you came from and sent them back to China and Japan and Vietnam and wherever it was because we were really mad at Asians after Pearl Harbor. And so they're doing that. But the GRC was not running the government's during the blip, the GRC has been established to help reestablish the governments. Maybe not that particular council, but I think we are to understand that there was this unified existence, because that's what the Flag Smashers are really saying. We like it this way. We don't want it to change. The supporting character, Torres, who has been running around playing Pokemon Go with their app... <laughs> It's called AR, Augmented Reality. There's a lot more than Pokemon doing it. As my reference, as the old timer here, he keeps finding this bloody handprint with a world in it wherever he goes. And they use that to draw a whole bunch of people into a Swiss town square, give them some masks so that provides them cover while they rob a bank. We are to think of these people initially as terrorists and people that are up to doing some kind of mass destruction. They start to get humanized here in the second episode. See, I feel like they're trying to say they're Antifa. Like they got that red hand, which is like the Red Fist logo. They've got some kind of project where they're loading things up onto a convoy in Munich. And Bucky just shows up in Munich to, I guess, lecture Sam for giving up the shield. That's how upset he is. We get some banter that I thought was going to be more of the show that I really like when they're talking about, you know, is the, th the big three threats, aliens, androids, or wizards, and like, is Doctor Strange a wizard, and talk about Gandalf. Like, I didn't get that. 
I'll be honest, is that an inside joke that people that really love Avengers talk about they only use three different kinds of villains? No. No, but that's what we've seen in these films is is Ultron and aliens. I don't even remember wizards. I don't think we've gotten to wizards yet. Domaru or whatever. Or I guess Loki was a wizard. Let's not forget Kaecilius. Is that the Doctor Strange? Doctor Strange villain. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, he was Silius. The other thing is, I do love when Bucky goes, I read The Hobbit when it came out in 1937. I'm calling bullshit on that because when he would have read it is when it would have been in a first printing as a children's book, about 3,000 copies only printed in the UK. Like, he's a hardcore fantasy nerd. He's got contacts in the UK, I guess, sending him a copy. I don't know. He was in the UK fighting. Very obscure book when it came out. He read that book like Steve saw Wizard of Oz. Yeah, he read that book as he's fallen off the train. (laughs) Sometimes it's just worth it to do a joke, you know, that you make a reference because you know that you're more or less period accurate and you just go with it here. And you know what? Anything they can do to create some comedy for this character is a good thing. I do find him kind of sour and I don't I don't necessarily love the scenes of Winter Soldier and Falcon together, but they are doing their best here with, yeah, him falling out of the plane and and just trying to do lighthearted Marvel stuff. And I love that Bucky's like, I'm coming along on the mission. Sam jumps out the airplane because he can fly. And Bucky's like, I don't need a parachute. Well, we've seen Steve jump out of airplanes not needing a parachute and just land with a superhero landing. Bucky has to grab that tree with that metal arm, hit every branch on the way down. It's not quite super. Erin Kellyman, man, can she only play one thing? Because I don't know if you guys remember, she was Enfa's Nest in Solo, A Star Wars Story, doing this exact same thing. A revolutionary who ends up being good. She was supposed to be this real badass thief, and it turned out at the end when she takes off her mask and you expect to see something like Darth Maul underneath. And it really lingers on her face. I'm like, is this a character I'm supposed to know? It's that it's a little girl who, you know, a teenager who's stealing for the rebellion. Was this a big part of the movie? It's like a big reveal at the end. It's a big part of the ending of that film. She was a major character? Yeah, she comes in and out and you get a big reveal at the end. But it's this exact same role. She's an anti-hero stealing things for a resistance against a tyrannical government as she sees it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's good to have a brand. That's usually how people get work. It's a very specific niche. Yeah, she's working it here. She's meant to look like a freckle-faced innocent in the being held captive in the semi when we have Winter Soldier running up there, tearing open the back. He wants to help, but he soon realizes he's outmatched. He's kicked back onto the other truck, and we get an action scene. Yeah, because Sam shows up to Munich because I guess he gets paid or something. He's got a government contract. He's got this drone that told him where they were. Red Wing, yes. We saw him in Civil War, too. Yeah, they take on the Flag Smashers, and the big reveal, I I guess, during this fight is that they're super soldiers, too, because they kick Bucky really hard. Yeah, out of the truck, and it's this girl who does it, Carly. I, Carly, (laughs) am a super soldier, but this is where the effects kind of fail me. Oh, it's not good. Some of the green screening here does feel like, Hey, we can't go on location. Sebastian, could you paint a wall green and just get in your costume at home for a little bit? I mean, I don't know (laughs) what was going on there. I think they're really there, but I don't think that these actors are trained enough to stand on top of a moving truck. These trucks are not moving, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's dangerous. But the fight is adequate. 
And I wasn't expecting the tide to be turned by John Walker showing up because, I mean, multiple super soldiers, Sam and Bucky weren't ready for that. So they were getting their asses handed to them until Captain America and Lamar show up. Yeah, John Walker is pretty capable. We see him, like, throw that shield to save Lamar when he gets kicked off the truck and everything. Like, he's holding his own, again, which is why I think he might be a secret super soldier. Oh, that that never occurred to me. Again, I assumed he was going to be the major villain. I kept waiting for that to drop and already was feeling shaken from that premise because, yeah, he's just so nerdy here. Like, it's just like, oh, my God. He has no hope against this crew. Like, he also ends up on the back of, like, some car's windshield and just... This guy cannot be Captain America if he doesn't have superpowers. And yet we're going to have a Captain America without superpowers when this is all over. Yeah, and I like that evolution. I see this as part of getting people to wrap their mind around that. We have to see this guy fail, and we have to see how Sam has more heart. And John wants to work with Sam and Bucky. He's like, I need Cap's wingman. So is John Walker the new Captain America? Like... Steve Rogers, his first stint as Captain America, a lot of that was just PR, you know, going to these rallies and that. Like, okay, they hire him to be a mascot to get people to feel patriotic, but he's also a military guy as well, I guess. I mean, I know he comes from the military, but they're also sending him out on missions, apparently. Well, I'm not sure how much he's being sent on this. I sense the fact that he's trailing these people, that uh, certainly once he gets the idea that they're going to be involved in a jailbreak, he is interested and following them around. I almost feel like a fanboy like because they're legit and he's not they represent so much of what he wants to become and they just won't accept him i think it kills him but i like the moment you know bucky's never going to accept fake steve here and so bucky's off that truck but sam sticks around until john's like i could really use cap's wingman and it took me a moment to realize you know what sam says is It's always that last line. I'm like, was it the wing pun? What was it? It's like, dude, I was supposed to have that shield. I was given that shield. And now you want me to be your underling. You want to make the black man the sidekick. You already have the black sidekick, Lamar. I'm not going to be Cap's sidekick when the real Cap deemed me worthy for that shield. You're the wannabe and you want me to report to you? Uh, No. And... You know, I did some reading up on racial readings of this because I can't say I understand the experience of a black American. I don't. But I did some reading and apparently the if you're not going to be with me or work for me, stay out of our way is something that black people have to deal with a lot is white people say come conform to our way of living or go away. Particularly American. Like, let's just call out America. If you don't like it, go back to your own country. This is my house. So they're bringing in that race discussion here pretty early in both subtle and major ways. And then they're going to smack us over the head with it as Bucky has a secret old friend. They fought each other in the Korean War. Bucky was on the other side. Yeah, like this is and Isaiah whooped his ass. So this is a super, I wish I did understand this. Jacob, please fill me in on what I kind of half get is some kind of nod to the Tuskegee Airmen. 
Absolutely. Yeah, the Tuskegee syphilis conspiracy, if you know about that, where they took a bunch of black men with syphilis and they're like, oh, we're going to give you a cure. And they just gave him placebo and watched him die. I guess they just wanted to see how long it would take him to die. That heavily influences this character's backstory where, yeah, you remember Steve was the only one that got that serum and then it got destroyed and all that. So the governments, the Nazis, the Americans, everyone's always trying to reinvent the serum. We're going to see that in this series. So the government, the U.S. government, they take 300 black men and they shoot them all up with the serum. Most of them just die. They can't handle it. The, the comic is very graphic. Like their heads blow up. It, it, like they do not shy away from how awful this testing is. And only a handful like make it out to go fight during World War II. And the only one left alive is Isaiah Bradley who goes and defeats the Nazi super soldier testing. Like they were testing on Jews. They, you see the tattoos on their wrist and everything. And they're trying to, and you know, and he breaks into this room and sees all these dead Holocaust prisoners and you know again saying hey what america did with black people there's comparisons i'll, I'll just leave it at that yeah and, and more to the point it's here is someone that is perfectly capable of being just as prominently heroic an icon just as much as steve so help me out here because it won't come out until like episode five but sam's eventually going to get the story out of this guy that he tried to rescue his brothers and was taken... I mean, he calls it a prison, but I think they just took him to a lab and experimented on him. Right, because he was the only survivor, and what they really want is an army of super soldiers. Yeah. One super soldier isn't enough, so why did it work on this guy? Then who were the men that he rescued... That, like, there was a story that Isaiah is telling about, like, breaking some people out, and I just, it was very nebulous, and I couldn't follow whether he was rescuing other super soldiers, other black people. That is what I'm saying, the depth of this, is they, again, that comic is going to say what America did to black people, there is some equivalence with what Nazis did to the Jews. This is a Disney product that will never do that. I mean, but give them a break. I mean, come on, like, do you really want, like, heads to explode in order for this to work? It's here. It's loud. If you want to tackle these politics in 2021, this is weak. The story he tells is that he and a bunch of other African-Americans were tested on. Mm -hmm. And they are going on missions, the ones who survived the testing. He's not the only one who survived. That's right. There is a whole Red Tails troop of super black men in the Korean War that get caught? Yes. That's not so super. Well, they aren't Captain America, you know? They're only Isaiah was perfect. But they're all enhanced. Yes, and they get caught, and the Americans are going to blow up the entire camp to hide the evidence of their experimentation on those people. I thought they were trying to tell us that, yes, America killed those men. It tried to kill those men. Isaiah went and brought them back, but then they died because they didn't survive the serum anyway. Let me put a huge problem out with this entire series— they're going to try to tackle some huge things. There are refugee camps. There are people who aren't in their house. There are these African Americans in Korea who get captured and released. These are all told either in passing dialogues or boring monologues. We aren't shown any of this. It took my second watching and excessive notes for me to fully understand what the hell the Flag Smashers are so pissed off about. I mean, look, Stuart, I get it. This is Disney+. Plus. We can't even show Daryl Hannah's butt and Splash anymore. We gotta CGI that hair even longer. I think you're holding that against them. This is more progressive than Disney probably wanted. 
if the truth were told, Marvel did something that Disney is probably very uncomfortable with. I don't think so. I think Disney, they got the pamphlets ready to send out and sell to school districts. What does the Falcon and the Winter Soldier have to say about political activism? And we can talk about Antifa, I mean, the Flag Smashers and and all these different things. Like, yeah, there's some writers on here, but there is a Disney committee overlooking it. I actually don't think there was a Disney committee overlooking it. I think if you're in the Marvel brass, you have signed on to Disney's woke doctrinism and... That's fine. Now, now, are you using woke in a derogatory way? Like, oh, they're just... That's the only way to use it, yeah. I'm saying this is woke in a marketable way. Again, sell units. It's not real woke. What I'm trying to get from both of you guys is whether you feel like this was a mistake for them to attempt this. I thought we were going to get kind of a lethal weapon buddy type story here. And when I think of lethal weapon, yeah, it's a black and white cop, but I don't feel like there's a lot of stuff about race going on in those films. Remember Apartheid? Yeah, I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, there is that apartheid stuff. Yeah, no, Lethal Weapon is what you're accusing Disney of doing. It is complete whitewash of racial politics. Well, half of America says, we're not racist. What are you talking about? There's no racism in America. So they got to please those people too. So they, they got to back off a little bit. So I, they're going to do enough. We're going to see some cops pull up and just pull guns on Falcon for apparently no reason until they realize he's Avengers. Why is that not enough? Like, that's plenty brutal. Imagine sitting around with like your eight-year-old and having to explain what happened. Oh, I've I've been explaining to my 10-year-old all about George Floyd and that. Like, these are discussions we have, and they are brutal discussions. And I would imagine those discussions are even crazier if you're part of the African-American community. That feels like a direct attack. Like, I'm horrified by it, but that's probably not going to happen to me. But, like, these are discussions I'm having with my kids because this is what's happening right now, and they need to be aware of what's going on. And Disney is not doing the good work of making the conversation relevant. They're pulling back just enough so they can't be accused of going too far. And I will take this a totally different way. First of all, they had no idea that they were going to be releasing the finale the week of the George Floyd verdict. And they started all of this during the Black Lives Matter rallies and things that were going on. I think that it's brave of them to take this stance. But what I think they primarily realize is for a lot of this audience... They're speaking to white people, or at least non-black people. Because the black people don't need to be told the things that are being told in this movie. It's a film that is wanting to say, uh, we're looking at our times right now and saying, can superheroes really function? Is this a post-superhero world where these problems are way too more complicated than the simple good and bad, uh, you know, analogies that we get? I don't need anything more than what they give us here when we see yeah, these cops roll up. They see a black man arguing with a white man, and the presumption is that Sam is the problem. Show us your ID. I don't feel like this show needs to throw the book at law enforcement and get political on that level. Then don't try to make this commentary. You want to make this commentary because it's relevant, and it's something that we can all acknowledge. It's like get out light. They're going to comment on black-white relations. They're going to comment on cops pulling people over. They're going to have, but the big conversation to really have is, could or should a black man be Captain America? And we're going to get into that around episode five, because at this point, it's not like 
he even wants to be. The whole reason they went to Isaiah is because there are mystery super soldiers out there. And how did they become super soldiers? The only super soldier, as far as Sam knew, was Steve. And then maybe Bucky. He's, he seems like a semi-super soldier. He doesn't seem quite strong enough. And then there were the failed Russian experiments. And this is Bucky going, well, there was some other serum. But this diversion doesn't really help as far as their investigation goes. A lot of things are pointed out by Bucky. Hey, let me go take you to someone you need to talk to. I don't know why Sam needs to talk to him, but I guess Bucky does. What I really don't understand is why they're like, well, maybe Hydra's involved. Let's go see Baron Zemo. <laughs> why do they think Hydra's involved? Why do they think Baron Zemo's the guy to go to? Because Daniel Bruhl answered the casting call. Who's available? <laughs> I think because he just super hates super soldiers. Like, we saw that. He killed a bunch in Civil War. And so, yeah, if, if there's any word about what's going on with the serum, he's probably on it because he super hates that. And they're definitely trying to bring back characters that are within the Captain America universe. You know, like, there are just people that have been forgotten. Sherrod Carter will be another one where, like, let's check in and see where they're at. Again, if you had asked me before I turned on this show... What happened to Zemo? I've been like, oh, they probably killed him. Like, I don't even remember him going to prison. That's right. Doesn't Black Panther capture him? He takes him in. That's right. Yes, Black Panther takes him in and hands him over to yeah, Martin Freeman. Again, it's very dense. And I'm having a problem following threads through all of the movies because I don't want to go back and relive them again and again and again and pick up all that stuff. Like, I'm starting to feel the homework of having to keep up with all of these characters. And for me, it's not homework because I really enjoy it. That's like, you know, some kids actually really liked P.E. class, <laughs> you know? So for you, watching Marvel movies is P.E. class for me. I, I think the big exciting thing when they go to see Zemo and recruit him and, you know, he breaks out and he gets that mask. And Stuart, you probably don't know this, but he gets that purple like cobra mask that he's going to throw over his head at one point. Yeah, I had no idea. What, I was like, was that in the movie? Like, it's no, a it was mask. not. Like, I was starting to feel like, oh, I should have, I should have rewatched Civil War. I mean, they're telling me they do have lines of dialogue. They do say things and repeat information enough for you to get the gist of it. I think that I was never like lost, but I definitely feel like I don't understand what Zemo is really going to do for them. And I certainly don't know why they need to break him out of prison. If he can't give them information, this seems like a really bad idea. Well, he wants something for the information. He wants to get out of prison in exchange for pointing them in the right direction. This whole time, Zemo's never going to side with them. They're going to have a mutually advantageous exchange of information. When they go to him, he's like, oh, you came to me because you must think it's Hydra. Well, you're very lucky because I do know something. It has nothing to do with Hydra. They never mention <laughs> Hydra again this entire damn series. But somehow, just because he hates super soldiers, Zemo knows of the scientist in Madripoor, and so... Yeah, the power broker, and yeah, he, he just knows all this. Mm -hmm. I did go back and rewatch Civil War, because the one thing that I couldn't decide when watching this is, does this match at all the Baron Zemo from that movie because Baron Zemo back then was staying in crap hotels. I remember him putting on a lot of different outfits, like he'd pretend to be a therapist or something like that and sneak into rooms. He did that once, yeah. And I suppose he could have been this ultra-wealthy Baron that just 
was using his money very wisely and not staying in extravagant hotels to not draw attention to himself in Civil War. There's no direct conflict, but this does feel like a very different Baron Zemo. Because Baron Zemo back then, his problem was Sokovia. I want to avenge Sokovia because in Sokovia, Avengers killed my wife and my son. And now, here, he's like, I hate all super soldiers. There was a line in Civil War when they found he killed the Russian super soldiers. He's like, do you think I wanted more of you? But I took it as he was anti-Avenger more than anti-super soldier. But here, this guy is now a criminal mastermind with connections everywhere. They feel like they're trying to do for Daniel Bruhl kind of what they did for Tom Hiddleston, right? We're sorry that first movie didn't show off your skills, so now we're going to let you be more fun punking these two and sending them into this crime city dressed ridiculously and, yeah, wearing that purple ski mask. Like, I feel an attempt to make this character more likable. And it's one that gets lost on me. So Zemo is taking them on his private plane to Madripoor. We get to see Zemo's butler slash pilot. I don't know that I'd let that old man drive me to 7-Eleven, let alone fly the plane. And we get what has to be the most cringe scene in this entire series. Zemo has pickpocketed Bucky. He has Bucky's little therapy book of names. And Bucky grabs it from him. And in case you don't know what that is, Falcon's going to say, I've seen that book. It was Steve's when he came out of the ice. I told him about Trouble Man. He wrote it in the book. Did you listen to Trouble Man? I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I appreciated that. I didn't know that. I didn't know Bucky took Steve's book. And you could just say that was Steve's book. Did you have to bring up the whole Trouble Man thing to jog everybody's memory back to the beginning of Winter Soldier? I don't know. Whenever we get some back and forth between these two, I'm enjoying it because I thought that's what this series was going to be about. These two characters. Now, I liked it more that Bucky didn't like Trouble Man and that Zemo's going to say Trouble Man uh, sums up the black man's experience in America. (laughs) But just the call out of Trouble Man in the book, I'm like, oh... You watch these movies all the time, though. It's it's always on your mind. I had forgotten about that. Well, Madripoor had people talking almost as much as Evan Peters in WandaVision, though. They thought Wolverine was coming, didn't they? They did think Wolverine was coming. Madripoor, yeah, it, it's this fake Asian metropolis in the Marvel Universe, but usually associated with Wolverine. So that, I definitely thought that when I heard that name. But I guess in recent comics, it's become like a mutant... Haven, like mutants have taken over the island of Madripoor. So Madripoor and X-Men are very, very closely tied. And so people really thought this would lead to something. And who's to say it might not down the road? I do love that Sam is like, why am I the only one dressed like a pimp? And Zemo is like, why is being fashion forward considered a pimp? Uh, yeah, and Zemo's wearing a fur line like trench coat. Like he's kind of looking like a pimp himself. <laughs> but I remember <laughs> you said Falcon was a pimp back when he like first came on the scene. Yeah, there there is a version of his origin story where he is Sam the Snap Wilson, uh, who was a pimp. 
I think it's been retconned, but but that is back there. Yeah, right. I, I feel like that was some kind of nod. We don't actually want to do that. Speaking of Fashion 4, we're trying to be progressive here, too. But laughing at the, maybe you would call them, mistakes and other iterations along the way. Like, we wouldn't want to see Sam like this for too long. But for a moment here for an episode, sure. But what's so weird is, like, they give him the name Smiling Tiger, not a pimp character in the MCU. Like, this is someone that would appear in, like, the, the first mission of a Suicide Squad movie and, and get killed. He'd be the one that would be suiciding because he is such a minor villain. Like, just a, a guy who was raised by, you know, his dad had a child uh, with a native from Vietnam when he was fighting in the war. And the, I don't know. He just wears, like, this gold tiger suit with sharp claws. He's kind of, like, feral. Like, they took a very minor character and, and just used that name. Was that a Black Panther villain? I mean, I'm trying to think. No, it was Ca- Captain America villain. Oh, wow. Yeah, but the, the character design kind of does look like a Black Panther, but with a gold outfit. Another pimp. <laughs> Maybe that, that's why they use that name. They, that gold outfit, is, yes, is pimp-worthy. But right now, all it's going to lead to is convenience. They happen to be seen in a bar by somebody who pulls up a hoodie That happens to be Sharon Carter, who happens to... And then they go and meet a woman, and this is one of three or four things in this series that pisses me off. Sam has been an Avenger, he's been a military guy, he's done a lot. He doesn't silence his phone before going in as Smiling (laughs) Tiger? Yeah. I feel like because this is episodic... One of the ways that you write that differently than a movie is you have to make sure everyone remembers all the characters. And Sarah made an impression in the first episode. By episode three, you're not really thinking about that shrimper boat. And so they just need to keep making you aware that she's around. And so this feels like a way of bringing her back. And I agree, in a very clumsy way. They're going to do a poor job with the Asian gentleman with Bucky at the end. Because I totally forgot about him. He does not get a call back after episode one till the, till the last episode. Yeah, I, I would just say that I do feel like this series struggles... To keep all the balls in the air. It's a juggling act. And with a lot of characters, I can see the sweat. And I can see some of the balls falling in trying to keep all of the storylines in play. Madripoor, in general, feels like something that didn't really need to happen. No, because they go and meet with this Selby. And because of this phone call, Selby finds out who they are. But then somebody outside of the room kill Selby, and then now there's a bounty on Sam and Zemo's head. Very John Wick style, like a million Bitcoin. Yes, and every single person in Madripoor is now trying to kill them, and they're saved by Sharon Carter. Okay, okay. Arnie, when did we last see Sharon Carter? Because I don't remember her being so pissed off. I remember her being kind of sad at her, what, aunt's funeral or whatever, and kind of pining over Steve. I don't remember her being so pissed off. I also want to throw out there that I remember this fan theory floating around. She was Agent 99 or something, who in the comic books had killed Captain America. Well, Sharon Carter was that agent who killed Captain America. We've been expecting her to put that bullet in him. It's been a surprise that that was a false lead. The Sharon Carter story is a little interesting. The very last time we saw her, she was literally kissing Steve to reinforce his heterosexuality (laughs) in Civil War while giving him his shield and giving Falcon back his wings. We never saw her again. 
Now, in Infinity War, it had been written that Steve and Sharon were going to be living together as a couple, but there was some strife. It wasn't really working. So they wrote her out of that, probably because it's really creepy if Steve had been living with and shacking up with the niece of the woman who's going to be his longtime love wife at the end of Endgame. And so the only thing we see about Sharon Carter is in a montage in Endgame, we see she is one of the dusted. So she was snapped out of existence by Thanos. Mm -hmm. But keep in mind, that was a couple years after Civil War, and Cap and Falcon and Black Widow and Scarlet Witch were all on the run for those years. So I guess Sharon was also on the run. Yeah, she says she needs a pardon. So she's in trouble for Civil War too Because she stole the shield and the wings and gave them okay. to Cap and Falcon. But she disappeared in the blip. So, like, I, I guess they held on to all those records. Or, you know, they also showed Ant-Man as having disappeared in the blip. But he was off in the quantum realm. I don't think Sharon was in the quantum realm. <laughs> no, but was she in Madripoor as the power broker? Because this is the most obvious bullshit in this whole movie. Oh, who's the power broker? Oh, who's the power broker? Sharon, you have the original Monet? Of course she's the power broker. Yeah, that she seems so out of character, and I'm never given a reason why. I'm like, okay, she's the bad guy, I guess. Well, yes, she has gone bad. And I just want to put it out there. I love that about it. It's like, what a nice surprise to see that she went from being this kind of goody two shoes for Captain America to like now having like this real edge. But there is an alternate theory about who the power broker could be. We will get Julie Louise Dreyfus, who does seem to be acting like she's controlling things behind the scenes. I don't know that it's obvious, Arnie. At the end of this episode, she has a driver come out of nowhere and says, we have problems, get in the car, I'll tell you about them. Yeah, the fact that she's got a chauffeur tells me she's in charge. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like, in retrospect, there's enough going on in this that I'm not really sitting around debating who's the power broker. It was, a, it was graffiti that was put up on a brick wall, and there's a couple lines of dialogue. But when you're binging this and not watching it week to week, you're not spending a lot of time meditating on it these kinds of things. The talk about the power broker has been a lot about Carly because she's getting texts from the power broker because she stole the super soldier serum from the power broker. Power broker's going to kill her. But I'm telling you, by the end of this episode, yes, we were watching it week to week, but the first you hear about the power broker is really this episode. And by the end of this episode, Marjorie and I turn to each other and go, Sharon's the power broker. Oh, hell yeah, Sharon's the power broker. And this is the most popular moment of Falcon and Winter Soldier here. It's it's Agatha all along is the party at Sharon's. And very briefly, Baron Zemo dances. Yeah, I, I read that Disney like release. I didn't ever watch it on YouTube, but like released the full dance because it's like 10 seconds here. I don't even know why you have the scene, but I guess it's that Agatha all along moment that they wanted. Daniel Bruhl said in an inter interview that weekend that like he was seen for a blink and you miss it. He's like spinning his hand and doing a little dance at the party. And he's like, they had me do this dance for a really long time. I did this whole dance thing and they just showed that. And that started the release the Zemo cut. <laughs> and so Disney put online a montage of all these different dance moves he did. Oh, they, they had that ready to go. They manufactured that demand. <laughs> yeah, I you're talking about things I didn't even notice. Yeah, we, we see 
Falcon, Winter Soldier, and Zemo, they all go to see this Dr. Nagel who's working on the serum. And Sharon, I guess she's pretending to fight off her own men outside. But I'm like, oh, this is whatever uh, stunt woman they got as her stand-in. Like, this is pretty good Atomic Blonde style. Like, they're, they're mimicking it pretty well. I don't think she's faking. She's killing Mm-mm. people, which no, really, yeah. again, boggled my mind. No, no, I, I mean, she's killing them to fake out Sam and them, that she's on their side. She killed Selby herself. She was in that bar, and then she put out a bounty on Sam and Bucky for killing Selby, and now she's killing the bounty hunters that she herself hired. Well, that's what I'm saying. She's killing people that she motivated to go after these ones. Yeah, it's hurting my head. As for this Nagel, am I the only one who got a real Lex Luthor, Jesse Eisenberg vibe off this guy? It feels like he's trying to channel that performance here. I don't know why he would. I, I don't really understand it. It's a <laughs> it's a data dump. What I'm really experiencing is this is what we would call a shaggy dog story. Rather than like having a real clear sense about why characters are going to places and achieving goals, I feel like we go on wild digressions and I'm never really clear as to why they're walking into shipping containers and finding labs and what people know and why people are killing each other. For me, there's a lot of just unresolved confusion. This character is here basically to tell us why Super Serum exists at all. He created it. There are 20 vials. And he created it from Isaiah's blood. Right. I should point out that Dr. Nagel, in that comic about Isaiah, he is the German scientist that comes to America in World War II and injects him. Here, they've updated this character. I don't think this one's from World War II. Not old enough. So Nagel, he did 20 vials and stopped And now he's trying to make more, but... Zemo's going to kill him because Zemo wants to prevent super... Anything super. Yeah, what what I think is interesting about Zemo is he's going to articulate that this serum, it doesn't matter how good you are. I think he does get an exception for Steve, but he's like, if you, this is about supremacy. If you want to take this, it's because you want to be supreme. And I think he's right by the end of this. Like, but that that is his whole thing is like people, should, you know, it's kind of going back to like the Incredibles. Like, let's all just be regular people. If you have supers, it, it throws the balance off. And that's what he's against. That that's going to lead to supremacy and death and murder and Sokovia all over again. And supremacy. Again, here we're discussing, you say supremacy, my mind goes to white supremacists. Yeah, I mean, yes. And so I'm starting to think now about what does this mean in regards to, in this moment, the Flag Smashers? Are they racial supremacists? What kind of supremacists would they be? I mean, bad people on both sides, right? I mean, there's this is the national debate about who the real problem is. Is it the Oath Keepers? Is it Antifa? We see factions of left and right, and depending on your political bent, uh, you're going to see them as heroes or, yeah, intolerant people. I think that this... Uh, in my mind, I don't know. I, I feel like this is a pretty skillful way of evoking what's going on without putting on labels. Like, I don't feel like anyone would feel like they were pushing a political agenda. I don't know if you would be against taking Super Serum or not. Like, I feel like that isn't 
like a heated debate. Like that's I, you know, like I hadn't really considered that before. What are the political ramifications for taking the steroid? Like all of this stuff on one hand doesn't feels non-threatening, but on the other hand, it does mirror things that people get really heated about. And here we're going to see Zemo go after some bounty hunters himself. And he puts on that purple mask. We saw him take it from one of his cars. The guy's a car collector. And in the back seat of one of those cars was this purple mask. And here, standing on top of a shipping crate, he's going to put on the mask and then start going like super soldier himself killing bounty hunters. Yeah, I, I guess it's fan service. Is it fan service? Is it the stunt man needing to hide his face? <laughs> I couldn't understand why the mask. I thought it was a Fat Albert crossover. It looked like Mushbound. <laughs> <laughs> now, the weekend after I saw this episode, Spellman did go out and say it's because Zemo believes he's a hero and that mask is a sign of when he was in service to his country Zemo was a soldier and that this purple mask was something he wore in that. And so see, thinking of himself as the hero in the story and going back to when he was serving Sokovia, he put this on because it's who he thinks of himself as. I'm like, some of that would have been nice to have in this series instead of having the showrunner just explain it in an interview after. Because to me, him putting on the purple mask was just a strange move yeah it didn't mean anything i was more focused on sharon and like you know she had the better fight frankly in this scene like it's a pretty intense one like a woman got speared and stuff then we end on a good laugh though because zemo finds a classic car you know he loves his classic cars he brings up one that's turbocharged we get a call back to civil war bucky hops in the front seat sam's in the back seat sam's like you're not gonna move the seat up are you bucky no. Oh, that's why he said that. Yeah, because when Cap was kissing Sharon, Sam and Bucky were in like this Volkswagen bug. Yeah, it was a really small car. I remember that now. <laughs> and Bucky's asking Sam, can you move the seat up? And Sam's like, no. So this is this is the little bit of revenge for that. And then the next lead they have, the weakest yet, another person we've never seen we're going to hear this whole bit about this Danya Madani. Who is she? I don't know. It's it's a big deal. And I don't know. She's just a name. Apparently, Carly really loved her, though. Carly loved her so much, she called up Nagel. Can you imagine getting this phone call? Hey, I know you invent super serum, but I need a cure for tuberculosis. Like stat. Like in the next couple of hours. You got anything? I'll be here in Riga. I mean, A, you robbed the guy for the super soldier serum. But B... Why not just give the TB patient super soldier serum? It'll probably be a cure-all. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I will say one one of the strands that gets most lost in all of these plots is what the flag smashers really hope to do with these vials. They have twenty vials. I don't know how many of them there are. Maybe twelve. They got eight or nine left, and they keep acting like they're going to do something big with them. But I never get a sense about who their targets are or, or how those people, by being enhanced, will help their cause. 
and it is here around this time when they do blow up a building and kill, I think, three people, I'll say. So I freedom fighters are terrorists. Well, now you're murdering people to, to steal supplies, vaccines that are just sitting in a room not getting used. That is one thing. But now you're killing people. Zemo's looking right. You take that serum, you're going to end up being a bad person. Are these flag smashers supposed to be sympathetic because i thought at the beginning they were oh yeah did you see the end of the series with sam coming down i do but at the beginning of this series i agree that they were sympathetic you know it's they call some of the people call the flag smashers robin hood because they're stealing from the rich and giving to these people in the camps but the moment you start blowing people up and our greek chorus here are the rest of the heads of the Flag Smashers. Because everybody around Carly is looking at her like, this isn't what I signed up for. And Carly's like, no, we got to kill people. Well, I, I think why Carly has reached this extreme is because her adopted mother is dead. Because she has this woman, we've had no scene to establish this. She literally just walks up to the woman's deathbed I thought it was just some refugee that was dying that she was sad about. Yeah, no, it's her mother figure. Like, they really needed to establish this, not in a, like, eulogy later at this woman's funeral, but, like, as a main character, would have been really helpful to understand that this grieving process impaired her judgment, is the way that I take it. And she became more callous because she lost this person. It would be super helpful if we saw this woman, rather than dying of tuberculosis, alone in a bed, maybe they're trying to imply because of the conditions of the camp, she didn't get the medical care that she needed. But it would have been more helpful to draw a direct line to the fact that GRC killed her. GRC killed my mother, so I don't really care if I kill GRC employees. Because they are going to try to make that point at the end that, that GRC, like they have an army ready to go, step over that border and forcibly move people. But again, that's where things get muddy with this. I don't think it's clearly written or well-written. Like everyone's really bad in this, but they don't know how to tackle that. Everything is great. That John Walker, the Captain America that reflects everyone in the show is going to be the bad guy. They're going to label him as bad, even though well, we'll talk about what he does. But like, I, I don't think he's any worse than the Flag Smashers or the GRC. Well, this past weekend, some stuff came out in interviews, and unfortunately, Spellman has been told by Feige, stop talking about this. So, details are nebulous. But, when they stopped filming before COVID, there was a plot in this series that after COVID was not put back in. And there's a YouTube video, and I usually am not one to talk about conspiracy theory YouTube videos, but this one's really good. And it's 11 minutes of analyzing details about this show, and the guy is pointing out that most of the time when people are talking about what the Flag Smashers are doing, not only is the person talking off screen, but... Their voice doesn't quite match to the voice they said when they were on screen a second earlier, like they were brought in to re-record entire portions of dialogue. And when Carly is called to see that Donya, the person who says, Carly, you should come up here, we never see who that is. We never know who's calling her. And Donya is an actually, I mean, she's not a huge get. She's not... She's a star in Mexico. I mean, I think she, it's an international 
Do we see her face even? Does she have a line in this? I mean, she's known as a dancer. So like, I, unless this is a dance of the dead, like I'm not sure why you'd hire a dancer to lie in a bed. Yeah, Veronica Falcone, she does a lot of American TV now. You wouldn't bring her in to play the body. So what was she doing when she was actually told to act? What was the Flag Smasher plot? It's probably not what we ended up seeing. I'm guessing, you know, they have this brief moment where they're talking about vaccines in the back of the van and all. She's not dying of tuberculosis. There was some kind of virus subplot, and COVID made that too hot. They just said, we're not doing it. I, I know there's a conspiracy video, but has this, wow, has this actually been confirmed anywhere? Um, no, this is just me looking at the broken pieces and saying that's how they would fit together. That's exactly what the conspiracy video went to, is that Madripoor is in Asia, that the power broker and or Carly were looking at releasing a virus and giving only the vaccines. Because what, what are they stealing? They keep stealing medical supplies. And if you look at what's on those medical supplies, it says vaccines. Yeah, they're definitely, and and they keep acting like, well, after tomorrow, it won't matter. We're doing something big. And then, like, you'd see it, and they're just robbing warehouses. I'm like, where's the big thing? They cut the big thing out. But what Spellman was allowed to say is it is not a virus-related subplot. I don't believe him. But he kept talking vaguely about a cut subplot, so people jump to the same conclusion you did, Stuart, that it was way too hot button, especially with China being, you know, being blamed by certain quarters for intentionally releasing COVID, to have Madripoor intentionally release a global pandemic and then have the vaccine for it. That's the theory. Spellman says that isn't it, and he still hopes someday that the plot can be used or they can make a comic about it or something, but Feige said STFU about that. Let's just think of it this way. If we're to understand that Carly is so enraged that she's going to kill people for what happened to her mother figure, it's easy to draw some kind of link to she died of something she contracted in these camps. There was a virus, there was a illness, there was something that the GRC wasn't doing to protect the people in quarantine that that caused her to die. And that gives this character a reason to feel no compassion in killing GRC. I'm just hypothesizing. What if the GRC were trying to kill the refugees to go back to pre-snap population numbers? With a virus or, or something medically induced? I can see why you'd cut it. I'll just leave it at that. I do think they're probably wise to remove that in these COVID times. That just is not... In a, in a movie that's already trafficking a lot in current events that are inflammatory, don't go there. Well, the series was supposed to be eight episodes, cut down to six. I could only judge this by what they gave, but this isn't what they wanted to give when they said started shooting. I think that this is a compromised miniseries. Sure. But again, I'll just point out, for me, all it really has to do, its only real mission is just to give us a reason why we should root for a new Captain America. Like, this is ultimately, it's just about Anthony Mackie proving himself in whatever situation they can concoct that he's our guy now. One thing that they've done that's very interesting, though, is taken away Sam's guns. 
Bucky's going to use some guns in this series. But if you look at all the previous appearances of Falcon, he's flying around and got a couple Uzis in his hand because his wings don't shoot. He's got guns in his hands. And Steve Rogers used pistols too, especially in the first Avenger. I mean, I, I know when it comes to DC with Batman, Superman, I don't like when they kill. They shouldn't be killing. I haven't really had that problem with this MCU. Yeah, Steve Rogers killed Nazis or, or Hydra members in World War II. Like, he killed a lot of people. We know that, right? But he did it with a pistol sometimes. But in yes. this series, Sam does not have guns. He's got a drone and he's got, like, Stark tech of voice AI stuff. But we don't see him with guns. And I think that's kind of an intentional Captain America is above guns thing. Not only that, but he will also make the claim Zemo's going to challenge him. Would you take the super serum? No, no even hesitation. He's not even tempted by it. He is not trying to be presumptuous, to be more than he is, which is, of course, what makes him noble. Like, it's what makes him ultimately qualified for the job is his ethics and not his fighting prowess or his how much he can bench. I think that's what we're looking for in a Captain America today. Not military might, but someone that's judicious and humanitarian. A different superhero for a different time. Cap made sense as someone shooting guns when your enemies are Nazis, but that's not the era now. And I think they're trying to acknowledge how difficult it is, how gray the moral spectrum is, and how blood is on everyone's hands. But yes, do I think that Carly's motivations to suddenly be like, I don't care who blows up or a little bit underdeveloped? I certainly wish we had less of the crime city and more... The problem is they're not very interesting, right? Like, none of these people that she hangs out with, they're, they're not particularly compelling characters. Do they have names? I've written down long hair, short hair. <laughs> I don't even know who, which one John Walker kills later on. Like, I just, he kills a flag smasher. That's all I know. That was the guy I called short hair. <laughs> <laughs> I had to look it up. I mean, they, they do have names in the script. And I, like, the actor had to play that particular part. So, yes, they do. But But to our point... Yes, we do not empathize with the Flag Smashers. We're to understand that the global community, it's really everyone. It's its all of the little people are really part of the Flag Smashers. They just, you know, like that's, it's, it's a populist cause. It's really the like flash mob smashers, right? I mean, they have an app and everybody will just stand up when they need to. That is so weird. Like I haven't thought about flash mobs in at least a decade, but here they are. <laughs> Yeah, and it's never really clear to me what they're doing when they're loading things up on planes or where they're going or who they're helping or, again, who these last vials are going to be for. But we will see that they keep, they're they keeping them in a fanny pack that they tuck into the gravesite of a World War II hero, and we are to understand that they got big plans. Carly's going to do something with it, and they all get ruined at the funeral. Which is in a classroom or something? I thought it was a warehouse. There's a boiler room. But there's also some guys in like with children at desks. Well, that's when they're looking. Sam and Bucky and Zemo are walking around trying to find out where the funeral is. That's the detention center. Yeah, yeah. There's a concentration camp of people who, again, help me follow this. But okay, like when the world was half depleted, people just moved into houses that weren't their own. And then when the other people showed up, they're like, oh, I got to leave and I'm homeless. Like that's the issue. 
They also said that borders didn't matter because countries were happy to have people to help rebuild. And now it's like, go back where you came from. Right. Okay. That would be something to drive home. That point, yes, because that is something we talk a lot about with America that ties into the whole debate about nationalism versus open borders. Uh, More time with these guys, right? This is your subject matter. This is your story. I feel like the compromise is if we go too far in this direction, and so they have to do this balance. They They can't allow this to become too political. But there's so much dialogue in this. There is so much saying this, saying that. It's all tell, don't show, which makes this nightmarish to even follow, let alone empathize with. If I had seen more of what the GRC is doing that hurt Flag Smashers... That hurt that woman who died that Carly's so upset about, yeah. If we'd seen her alive, there's so much that could have been done. Instead, we've got news people coming on telling us that the GRC is starting to pass this bill, and Carly's talking about, remember when you and I met in Madripoor, and we were just free, and who would have thought we'd all get together, and now we're all super soldiers, and there's just so much talking about stuff and so little doing stuff that I find myself really frustrated because week to week, I couldn't follow it. Binge watching, I can follow it. I just don't like it. Yeah, I feel like it's 45 minutes of a lot of muddy stuff going on, a lot of relationships. And then at the end, Captain America. And then at the end, Zemo. And at the end, we got Wakandans back. Come back next week because here's a character you really like. I feel like they even know it's a problem. As someone that's enjoying this, I will just say I'm not having a problem with it, but I recognize how difficult, how unwieldy this beast is they're trying to ride. Like, this is really hard to shoehorn all the concerns they are into a Disney Plus entertainment over six episodes. This is where I think they bit off more than they could chew. I think that they just tried to take on too much. Now they're taking on immigration and border walls, and they're taking on race relations in America, and they're trying to be a superhero. But these things aren't unrelated either. I mean, I do think that it, it would be wrong to say, well, that's a different issue. No, that's it's all related to the concept of uh, how openly we live our lives. Yeah, again, supremacy, nationalism, what do those things mean? Where do you draw the borders with that? Uh, yeah, I, I do, you know, if someone has a problem with a black captain in America, they probably have a problem with immigrants too. Right, and I think that's why they think they don't have to articulate some of these struggles we're citing because people are already really charged about ICE and the border and what have you. People are, like, instantly can fill in that space with however they feel about Blue Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. Like, it's just there. to It's tapping into some something that is overflowing in the American or or maybe even the global consciousness. So I don't, I think that they feel like they don't need to spend a whole episode with Carly, but it would have helped. Instead, we get this chase scene where she basically loses her edge. She, she had the vials and then Zemo corners her and crushes them all but one. And he thinks he got them all, but he holds it up and there's that moment, right? Is Zemo going to become a super soldier? I mean, he is super powered in the comics, right, Jacob? I mean, he's got, he's lived since World War II, at least. 
Yeah, I know he, he's taking Compound X to slow his aging down because, guys, the Marvel Universe is created in the 60s, but it, it's 2021 now, and they still got to be the same age for the most part. But yes, they have a reason that he has never aged. I think he did get a, some Moonstones at one point, which gave him like some super strength and super speed and, and, and things like that, just like magic stones in the Marvel Universe. We've talked a lot about those. I'm not even going to ask. Moonstones, Jesus. All right. Maybe when we talk about Moon Knight, if we ever get that series, we'll talk about Moonstones. I'm not sure if they're related. Does this involve J. Jonah Jameson's man-wolf nephew? I don't even care. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought when he gets that vial, he holds it up in front of him and he gets this smile. And I'm like, I know he hated super soldiers, but maybe he was just jealous. But then when he throws it down and smashes it, I'm like... Okay, this makes a lot of sense, and he thought he got them all. And before that, Sam had already had a conversation with Carly, like, what are you going to do with this serum? Are you going to make more soldiers? Why are you keeping it around? And later on, she's going to say, we made a mistake. We should have made more soldiers. Yeah, again, I wanted to see the candidates. We're going to be the children? Like, we saw these kids eating sweets earlier. I'm like, that would be quite something if we had, like, a kindergarten full of, like, super, like, Antifa. But the one that ends up with that vial is the one that had to, right? I mean, Walker. Like, that's been his whole struggle is, how do I live up to this superhuman? Now it will be easy. All I have to do is ingest this vial. But he doesn't immediately. He's going to wrestle with it and have his conversation with Lamar or... Blastar, as he's called. He's in the comics, right, Jacob? Yeah, Battlestar? Yeah, Battlestar. Yeah, and going back to those comic origins, Lamar, just like John Walker, who became a super wrestler, a super patriot, Lamar was part of that program, and that's how they met and became friends. And yeah, when John Walker was promoted to Captain America, Lamar was chosen to be his Bucky, his his sidekick. But he does, in the comics, because he's part of that crazy power broker wrestling league, he does have superpowers as well. What was his code name? Bucky? They actually do have some acronym, B-U-C, and he is part of a team called the Buckies in this wrestling league. (laughs) You need to stop. (laughs) You know what? Every time you're expanding, I want to contract. Like, literally, I want to just like, no, I don't want this. That's why the MCU's a little better than the comics for the lay people. Yeah, and I do think, Stuart, I'll concede on a few points here. I I do think they do some interesting things with Walker and Battlestar, you know, when they're sitting there having a coffee and some young women come up and they just ask for Walker's autograph. You could read something into that. You can read something into that, but it's also like if I went up to a table and saw Will Smith and Willow Smith and I only asked one of them for their autograph. It's not because he's a man. It's because he's the more famous one. Yeah, if you had a copy of I Am Legend, wouldn't you have both of them sign it? I'm just saying, who knows Lamar? Captain America was on Good Morning America. Lamar wasn't. He's considering it because before this, as you mentioned, Jacob, the Dora Milaje show up. This one's Io. This one's not Okoye from Black Panther the movie. I thought it was Okoye that show. It's not Okoye? No, this is Io, who was in... Civil War, she was with T'Challa, and when Black Widow's standing in the way, she goes up to Black Widow and goes, move or you will be moved. And she was in the background in Black Panther, but Okoye was the one that got the focus there. So they got this one back. Yeah, it's not Michonne from Walking Dead. In this one, they've shown that she was the one to actually break the spell on Winter Soldier. He no longer responds to those codes because she took him out to the forest and did something at a bonfire. 
And that was the most we've ever seen of his healing and him being the white wolf from Wakanda. Is this also when they they set up like an easy release for his arm? We see it in this big fight here. Like they just do a couple taps like like a Bruce Lee move and his arm falls off. That's rude, right? I mean, that is awful. That is an invasion. He feels betrayed. He's like, did you know about this? They're like, yeah, we we knew we could do that. I don't know, but, you know, we, when I think about prosthetics, I mean, they, they are designed to do that. So I, it wasn't a shock to me, but it was obviously a shock to him. Yeah, I mean, the fact that she could do it mid-combat with a couple of what look like Tai Chi moves to the shoulder and his arm falls off. That's, you know, a lot of his superpower. But it makes sense to bring them in. At first, I'm like, this is really getting a lot of people in here, but... They do have the connection to both Zemo through T'Chaka, which I hadn't thought of, and Bucky, because they healed him. And so they come in here. They don't have a whole lot to do. Their primary thing is, we want Zemo. And then when John Walker comes in and is like, ah, you don't have jurisdiction, they're like, we'll kill you. They, like, throw spears at his head. That's a little much. That, that's what I'm saying. Like, everyone's kind of awful. Like, I, we'll get to Walker soon enough, but I don't blame him that much. Like, everyone's trying to kill each other in this. And yet there's so many platitudes about, like, who's right and who's wrong. I love that Sam and Bucky are on the sidelines, though. And Sam's like, we should really do something. And Bucky's like, looking good, John. <laughs> Just <stand laughs> That was my, like, big laugh out loud moment for the series. Yeah, what what I take away from the scene is boys lose. Like, everyone here, like, is humiliated because this Wakandan force comes in. But they don't succeed either. Because Zemo, while all of this is going down, has, like, an escape tub. He's got a, a hole in the floor that he can just slip away. This was his house from childhood or something. They said he went El Chapo. Yeah, that's how El Chapo got out of prison. He had a little hole but in the by the toilet that he snuck out of. Yeah, but I don't know why this is his place if he's Zakovian. Because he's super rich. Rich people just have places everywhere. No, I think that he actually made some kind of dialogue about how like Sokovia got sucked up into the map and erased. And that I think they're trying to say that Latvia is actually his former country. He talks about going to a memorial for Sokovia. We'll see it. Yeah, and he asked Sam and Bucky, have either of you gone? Of course you haven't. Well, I'm like, neither one of them were at Sokovia. Sam was off looking for Bucky, and Bucky was in hiding. It's not like they should feel guilty for it. They weren't even Avengers. I I mean, I didn't take it as that. I just took it to mean as someone that watched their culture being erased. And that it's now known as a different country, like a real one, like you can actually go to and not a fake one that gets dragged up into outer space. But at any rate, I think that that's why he has this super cool house and can slip out. And yeah, we'll eventually like he tipped Bucky off to say that I'm going to be at that memorial. It'll lead to some kind of character revelation there. Some kind of, yeah. I'm not quite sure what there. Let's hold it. It's a different episode. Let's wrap up this one, because what we're building up to is the fact that Cap definitely now is taking that serum, and he's definitely going to get involved when Sam is trying to renegotiate with Carly, who is, like, pulling all kind of moves, like threatening his sister, and again, yeah, you see that people are being more callous, that the stakes are such that people don't care about the other side, and don't 
once you reach that part of the debate where people like don't care if the other people are getting what they want or even living or dying, it's not much of a debate, right? Like there's nobody that's going to win. It's a war. But Sam's still trying to reason with her and almost does a good enough job. Like he gets Carly talking reason. The reason she threatened Sam's sister and nephew was to get Sam to show up and talk. It's when John busts in that the fighting begins again. And and there's another big callback here when Walker and Lamar kick open that door. You see Walker has the shield in front of him, the gun above him. Lamar's just to his right over the shoulder. If you go back to the first Avenger, that's a big moment when during the montage of raiding Hydra bases, they did that exact same shot, exact same pose and everything with Chris Evans. And so they're really doing a lot of visual and audio callbacks here. I mean, I'm appreciating that. As I'm guessing both of you haven't seen the first Avenger 50 times because you're not married to my wife. Uh, You may (laughs) not have caught that. It seems several times like Carly could have been brought back from the brink, except for John. Yes, I agree. I, I definitely feel like it's Antifa versus Blue Lives Matter. Well, it, until Antifa kills a cop, it, it, those are the parallels we're drawing because Lamar is going to be killed. Carly's going to punch him to death. Right. And, and, and I think we've seen real world equivalencies of that. People lose their compassion for a particular side when there is innocent blood on the hands. And that's what happens here. So here's my issue because, yeah, the big moment of this episode is Walker's going to chase them. He's going to find short hair guy, as he's noted in, in Arnie's notes. Nico is, if you really want a name. Yeah, and I think he beheads him. Like, he brings that shield down, and they're not going to show a head rolling down, but he at least kills him. There is blood on that shield. It's in front of a crowd. Phone's out. That's going up on Twitter and Facebook and TikTok and all of those <laughs> apps. And and I feel like that that's really Walker's crime. Like he he went after a terrorist organization that just killed someone on his side and went after him. I, I'm guessing that's what the military does. I was never a soldier, but like that is your mission. And I feel like the real problem is the optics of it. Like he got caught doing it in public. That is the real sin. I think that is the case because when I'm watching this the second time, I start doing a body count. Like in that opening scene, I'm like, well, Sam threw that guy out of a helicopter. He's dead. Sam blew up that helicopter. He fired a missile at it from Red Wing. There's at least four deaths. Never cared about people killing before. So they're killing a lot of people as part of their fights. But when, I guess because this one was done for revenge and it wasn't a direct threat. Yeah, come on. He didn't bring a man to justice. Uh, It was done in the heat of battle. This man didn't bring someone to justice. He wanted to kill. Okay, and and Carly didn't free anyone by killing Lamar. Yeah, but that was accidental. Semi-accidental. Took super soldier serum. She knew her strength. She's killed three other people with an explosion. Like She did not intentionally kill him. She threw him and he died. She did not throw him with the intent of killing him. Yeah, but if you engage in war, you engage in like that. What do you expect to happen? Well, that's the message, right? If we got if we can't debate, we're going to war. So why are we so hard on John Walker? Because if if I shot a soldier that shot someone that was next to me, I, I don't think that's a problem if I'm fighting the other side. 
Well, the problem is you need to put down the shield and explain what you did and calm down. And instead, he turns on Bucky and Sam in the beginning of episode five. Well, that's because they try to take the shield from him. I mean, they talked about how the serum doesn't just provide strength. It takes whatever you are and makes you more of it. And Steve Rogers was a Boy Scout. And so that's why he's been the perfect Captain America on the serum. Wouldn't it be awesome if we knew who John Walker was? Like, we've only been told about how great he is. Three medals of honor, and we'll get some words about, like, he would... Like, it sounds like he just killed people in war and was rewarded for it, and, and that's what he knows to do. Yeah, that's what he says to Lamar. It's like, I got three medals for the worst day of my life. We did things that don't feel right when in Afghanistan. Yeah, like, that is, again, the, the behind the hype is a man that feels... Like he has been oversold to the public. He is incredibly insecure. I mean, yes, I do get that this is an act of anger, but I don't necessarily fault him for killing a super soldier terrorist. I do think it's because it got put on Vine that he gets court-martialed. Yes, Vine doesn't exist anymore, does it? <laughs> It'd been one thing if you did it to Carly. This man had no involvement. I'm not even sure he was in the room when it went down. He was a super soldier that was fighting. We've seen him doing stuff. See, and this is the problem. When you make that association, well, you're in that group, so you get what you get. When it's a terrorist organization and you're participating in terrorist attacks, you're part of that group. But that terrorist label can be used on anyone. When you blow up three people to make a point, when, when you kill Lamar here, you have lost that freedom fighter status to me. I don't know. I mean, let me play devil's advocate. I agree with you, Jacob, but let me play devil's advocate. <laughs> the rebels blew up a Death Star with a bunch of troops on it, killed tens of thousands. And if you're sitting on Coruscant and reading the news, there's some terrorists. Yeah, I'm trying to be a realist here because I, I could be real leftist and go, no, the, the Flag Smashers are totally right. They need to kill as many people as possible to convince the GRC to change their way. No, I'm not saying that. Like, they have engaged in murder too. Like, Zemo is right. You take that serum, you become a bad person. I don't know that it's just the serum because I think the GRC, we don't have a character to represent I think it's Captain America, honestly. I think that we're supposed to see that Captain America's mistakes are really the mistakes of the GRC. By Captain America, you mean Walker? Yeah. Okay. Because there's a lot of Captain America. Yeah, I, I agree. I, yeah, I guess that's a confusing term at this point. I haven't even talked about I, Isaiah Bradley's son, who's going to become Patriot in the Young Avengers. Like, there are so many Captain Americas in this. <laughs> But he's not going to be Captain America for much longer. They're going to have this epic fight where he's screaming, why are you making me do this? Again, you don't see this as a man out of control that needs to be put down? No, I definitely see that. That's what I was getting at is he's not right when he's running around and having hallucinations and things. It's that serum is messing with him somewhat. Yeah, we're going back to the government was right in Iron Man 2. Like these Avengers, they're going around killing too. They're, they're making their own rules. Like that's what the Sokovia Accords were all about. We have seen this throughout with the Avengers that they're the ones, especially Tony Stark. I think maybe that was his mindset. Like I am the only one that can be trusted. This thing is turning me against the Avengers. If this is the stance you want to take, like their hands are just as dirty, but because we're supposed to think John Walker is the bad, maybe white race is Captain America when he kills it's bad but not when anyone else I do not think that is the stance of this movie blood is on everyone's hand literally a bloody handprint is the symbol of this group but at this point Sam is wanting to destroy the shield he says that everything that the shield stands for needs to be destroyed it's part of the problem 
and Bucky is ready to take it. Walker's like, you guys don't want to do this. It's Bucky like, yeah, we do. We want to kick your ass. But this fight here, the two-on-one, I think they're trying to go for Civil War. They're playing that Civil War theme. They want this to be as good as Bucky and Steve versus Iron Man. It's not. I mean, it's a fine television fight, but it does not move me, and it does not have the kick-ass moments of Captain America and Iron Man. I think part of the problem is, I know John Walker as well as I know Carly, as well as I know Isaiah Bradley, like, yeah, there's a lot of talking, you called it out, Arnie, there needs to be a little bit more showing, like, I don't know who Walker was before this, so I'm just not as engaged in this fight, because you're just telling me, okay, he's the bad guy, he killed someone, and here's a fight, I'm not as invested as, like, Iron Man versus Captain America, who I I have backgrounds for those characters, I know who they are, what they represent. Well, yeah, it couldn't be that, because you have fans on both sides, no one is rooting for Walker. No one. We, we've we had four hours leading up to this point. They could have pulled that. They could have made us sympathize with them a bit more. I don't know why they would. They've done what they've intended to. Well, I thought this was about moral ambiguity and grayness where everyone's right and everyone's wrong and we should be able to see everyone's point of view. But that's not the case. I think that comes in the next scene where he gets stripped and he realizes he has no benefits and he's now a ruined person. That's where the sympathy comes in. Not in this moment. Like, I think that he's a absolute moral terror. And he is strong enough to almost take them both down. This is why I'm like, Bucky's a semi-super soldier. <laughs> because with him and Falcon, and Fal- he rips off Falcon's wings, but Falcon is still able to use, like, the jet to enhance his punches and things and get a little leverage. It was a cool little move when he did that, yeah. But it takes both of them, and finally, Bucky has to break Walker's arm to get that shield off of it. And then he just takes it over to Sam and drops it. Like, this is all your fault. There's blood on the shield. You put the blood on the shield. Wish we should be judging Bucky. He he. One of his rules with his therapist is he cannot harm people. He's been harming people this whole time. <laughs> I know, and he just broke this dude's arm. Like, he is he is not living up to those therapist guidelines. Oh, he hasn't wanted, but he, I mean, that was evident. I mean, he never has, but he will not really be doing the work until the, the final episode. He's in a state of rage. All he knows how to express is pain and hurt. He doesn't know how to be humble. He doesn't know how to let someone forgive him for things he's done. But after Walker's trial comes a moment I never expect. Best part of this series. I didn't know she was going to show up in this. Best moment. I was so spoiler-free about this that when Julia Louis-Dreyfus walks in, I'm like, are we doing a Veep crossover? What's going on? Yeah, I know. I want the Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine series. Give me it. You guys know we've seen Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine in a previous movie, right? Was she the rabbit in WandaVision? She was Lisa Rinna in Nick Fury, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with David Hasselhoff. Yeah, nobody knows okay. what that is. <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, she's been in a lot of comics, Like, but Val, this is a character... Again, a little known character, I think, if you ask most people who read the comics, but she's appeared, she's she's always around Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. in the comics. I think she was a member of Female Force for S.H.I.E.L.D., which, but, uh, but yeah, she, at one point it was revealed she was Lady Hydra and she was like running Hydra, but that was also an undercover mission. So uh, yeah, she has flirted with both sides, but mostly a S.H.I.E.L.D. person, very obscure in the comics. Hey, if it was played by Lisa Renna, it's not obscure to me. 
See, you guys have all this knowledge. To me, it's like, oh, they're just creating a, a, a power broker possibility. We think that it's probably Sharon, but it this here's a woman that, like, again, like, is acting like she is the one pulling all the strings. Her business card is blank, and she'll call you. And again, she seems like a like a power broker. Like she seems like someone that could be behind it all. I, I agree. I, I considered, hey, maybe I'm wrong about Sharon once she showed up in the film. I never did. And it's because you wouldn't have all this power broker mystery just to have Julia Louis-Dreyfus show up for a minute or two. I don't know. It's a great minute. It is a good minute. She does rule the screen here. She has made so much of herself since her really sad SNL days. But spoiler alert for Black Widow, possibly, for anybody who doesn't want to know anything about that movie. But we were supposed to see Julia Louis-Dreyfus as Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine in Black Widow in one of those flashbacks, possibly with General Ross, who we've seen de-aged in the trailers. She putting together the Thunderbolts? That's the theory. I figured either the Thunderbolts or they're going to try to do some Dark Avengers thing. Yeah, that's the theory that's going around. But this was not supposed to be how we met Julia Louis-Dreyfus. So we'll see her in July or whatever when we see Black Widow? Maybe, unless they decided because of different changes and things, they can always cut it. But that was the plan, is we would have met her in Black Black Widow, and here she is again. She's like the anti-Sam Jackson. She's putting together the bad team. Okay. Yeah, interesting. The moment comes and goes pretty fast. I didn't really spend a lot of time thinking. Again, I think something happens when you're allowed to spend a week mulling over 60 minutes of this story. Oh, I, I didn't think a whole lot about this this series after I turned it off. Going to places that, like, I, I just, as someone that is... Watching all of it in quick succession now is just not going to process. No, let me be clear, Stuart. I've read the comics. That's why I'm coming up with these conclusions. I did not think about this when I shut it off every week. This was no WandaVision. I'll say that. Every week with WandaVision, my friends and I would have a text chain. Like, have you seen it? Have you seen it? Once everybody had seen it, we would spend hours and hours theorizing. What does this mean with Evan Peters? Did you guys notice the dark home in the background? Here, it was like, yeah, it was good. And that was the end of the conversation. I did not see the buzz online about it. I didn't see all the think pieces on it. I didn't think about this show much, except, oh, hey, tomorrow's Friday. I got to wake up early for Falcon and Winter Soldier. I was not ruminating over this episode all week. It just didn't have that hook the way WandaVision did. This isn't a mystery. Mm, I feel like it's it's crammed full of things to do exactly that. Create water cooler conversation. Assuming you're going into work and standing at a water cooler and talking with your coworkers. But believe it or not, at my job, we have a Slack channel for employees to discuss Marvel. Mm. <laughs> I believe it. And again, I... What are the ratings on this? I would think that this was getting a lot of heat. I heard not great things. Like, I didn't read a whole lot about what people were thinking about it, but every time I'd see a headline, it was not glowing. As far as reviews, it got decent reviews. As far as ratings, digital ratings are like a month behind. They just released the day before we record this, the ratings for week three. But its premiere was the number one episode of all time on Disney+. Plus. Although Disney+, Plus has more subscribers than ever before, so... More than The Mandalorian or WandaVision. Yes. 
a big hit. I mean, like, I don't need to know exact number. I'm just quantify it. There, a lot of people care about this, at least initially. What was it by episode three, though? By episode three, it was number three, but the only show in the top ten, not on Netflix. So, big for Disney. But it just didn't have the discussion around it, is what I'm saying. And I think as it went more and more week to week, I kind of felt the fatigue setting in with myself and my friends. It was like, oh, yeah, uh, who do you guys think Julia Louis-Dreyfus is playing? But it didn't really get that deep. And this episode five is slow. Now, I'm used to this in TV series. I think I mentioned it in WandaVision. The penultimate episode is where you do all your setup. You do all your talking and everything. You get all your pieces in play for the big blowout finale. But here, we're going to have not one, but two boat-fixing montages. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, remember that boat? It's really important. Yeah, sometimes there's nothing to do until there's something to do, which means we're not doing anything this episode. It's been an expensive show, and this is where we're just going to hang out in Louisiana and, like, get crabs and stuff. <laughs> not because Bucky got Sarah in any kind of fun way. I was going to say, man, he's got eyes for Sarah. <laughs> I love Sam's reaction every time. Every time Sarah comes by, he's by Bucky has a smile and hi, Sarah, and Sam does not like it. Stay away from my sister. <laughs> yeah, this is the moment where it becomes Falcon and Winter Soldier. Up to this point, I feel like we've talked about a lot of characters competing for attention and the primary relationship has been underdeveloped. Okay, Bucky's mad that you gave away the shield. We had one moment where they got pulled into a therapy session, but for the most part, we haven't seen these two trying to work that out. And seeing them in couples therapy was funny. Here, they come to it rather easily. I feel like Sam has all the advice on what Bucky should do. And Bucky is like, don't listen to that cranky old black guy that didn't get to be Captain America. That he took him to. That's like, you need to meet someone. Meet this guy. This is really important. And he's like, don't listen to him. Yeah, but I don't think he ever expected Isaiah to give a speech about America would never accept a black Captain America. And what was more interesting to me, because I'd never thought of it, is why would a black man want to be Captain America after all America did to the black man? That... Got me thinking. I mean, what does that mean to be a black man, possibly a descendant of slaves, and stand up with stars and stripes? Why would you necessarily want to champion the country that has not been entirely fair? Yeah, it, they have to walk a line here because on one hand, Isaiah has a legitimate point and his life speaks to that experience. But at the same time, he's very bitter and he's given up. And because what happened to him, he's projected that's what's going to happen for all black Americans. He's not open to the idea that Sam's generation is ready for change. And again, my problem is, what does Sam think about all this? What, what does he think about being black and an American? I don't know. They want us to think about these things, but they don't want to make any statements in, in case they offend people. I didn't take that as what was going on. I take it to mean that it is internal. And I think on some of it, it is there, like it's subtext. Like we don't, it doesn't need to be spoken to because we understand the pressure that he would be walking into. But it does need to be spoken to because look, Biden got in a lot of trouble when he said, if you vote for Trump, you ain't black. And I, I get what he meant by that, but it's the, the, the black people could have all kinds of different beliefs, just like white brown everyone else and so i need to have that conversation because yes the often the betrayal is angry black man and so let, let's delve into that like there is there's probably a good reason a lot of them are angry and why would sam like does he feel like he could help 
race relations in America by being Captain America? Well, what does it mean to him? That that needs to be a conversation here, and it's it's not. I think it's real clear. It's insecurity. I don't feel like in any way he's a cynical American. I believe he's a patriot. I think he's already proven that time and time again. Then you got to tell us why, because you're giving us Isaiah's side. You're giving us a lot of evidence that Isaiah should be bitter. I saw it in the very first scene. I saw it in the very first scene as he's ironing and thinking about what old Steve Rogers told him and sliding that shield into the cover is that this belongs to somebody else. I'm not worthy. Okay, but that doesn't answer what he thinks about being a black Captain America. Yeah, is he not worthy because he's not Steve, or is he not worthy because of the color of his skin? I mean, these things are rarely one thing, right? Or they're nothing in this series. I've got to say, I'm shocked. I'm really surprised that you guys are not more impressed with the, uh, what I would say, the bravery of heading into these issues. I'll say this. I thought maybe I was an outlier. So I, after I watched everything, I'm like, do other people like have problems with this series politics and its lack of saying? And yes, there, there was quite a few articles. Of course they do. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I, everyone's got a problem with everything these days. I'm really surprised that you guys aren't finding this fertile new ground for Marvel to explore. Because I do. I was happy that the show was about something. I was really interested in seeing it explore that. I felt like in episode one, they covered it because of the boat. Episode two, they covered it because of Isaiah. Episode three, I like maybe because of the black sidekick thing. Episode four, maybe because they killed the black guy and black guys always die in the movies. Uh, but yet the Dora Milaje kicked a lot of ass and nobody's mean to the Dora Milaje. They'll kill you. So I feel like this show is just not brave enough. It's wishy-washy. Yeah, I don't think this series understands its message. I think there's a lot of virtue signaling in this, and I'm glad they're bringing up these topics, but man, they are treating it with such Mickey Mouse gloves. Let's get to the climax. I feel like, uh, you know, there's nothing more to say about, you know, fixing up a boat. Well, first we need a Rocky training montage. All the stuff that's going on. All we really need to understand is that Bucky brought like a special case and there's going to be a surprise. From Wakanda, he asked the Dora Milaje for a favor. Right. And Sam had to sign for it. I loved that. He's like, sign for the package and I'll go. Like, the Dora Milaje don't trust Bucky to deliver it. Do they not have Shuri work on that suit? Like, why can't it absorb all the momentum, potential energy like Black Panthers? Taurus calls and he's seen all of the Flag Smashers phone signals heading towards New York. Sharon has been on the phone with some French guy. And all of a sudden we see Batroc hanging out with the Flag Smashers. Everything is leading on to a stop the GR terrorist attack in downtown New York. Where she's going to blow up the building and if that doesn't work, kidnap them and kill them? Is she blowing up the building? I thought so. I didn't get that no, impression. I thought she was faking an attack so they could kidnap them okay. and then kill them. Okay. I mean, the goal is to kill them. Yeah, but they want to lock them up in the vans when they're trying to evacuate. That was their whole goal is to get them to leave because we see Sam try to get them to stay. Well, I'm confused by this too because... Some of the people get put on a chopper, which the Flag Smashers have. Other people get put in a police van, which this big beefy guy then puts the special lock on. And I think they're locked in. But then Sharon kills the beefy guy with mercury gas and he melts. 
And then later, the Flag Smashers have to stop the police trucks and kick the police's ass and steal the truck to get the people in the back. So again, I'm not quite sure who's on whose side, and I think that's because there's been a lot of talking and not a lot of showing me who these people are. Yeah, no one has, like, we needed that moment of, like, here's the plan, let's spell out step-by-step what we're doing. And, yeah, rewrites, Carly is maybe not being logical anymore. They want to stop the vote. There is a patch agreement that is going to basically send all the displaced people away. I'm not even really sure where. Like, that doesn't even make a lot of sense, because I think in a lot of cases, they may be in their country of origin, but, like, they just don't have a home. It's a homeless problem, not necessarily a refugee problem. Isn't Carly, like, Irish or something? She's hanging out in Latvia? Yeah. Again, they they want to make the equivalency with the Syrian refugee crisis in Europe. And this is where, I guess, the problems between comic book ideas and real world politics just don't quite totally mesh up. But I appreciate the effort of what they're trying to signal here is the idea that we have a group that wants to see the world unified. We have a group that wants to see the world fall back into nationalism, and it's led to this war that's going to explode in New York City. And they're teasing Sam. We saw Sam with that suitcase, and we get to see wings, we get to see a shape in the air, but we're not going to get to see he's Captain America until he bursts into that building and throws the shield first and starts a fight with Batroc. Where I think Sam pretty much proves I shouldn't be Captain America. Batroc kicks his ass. And all I can think about is Winter Soldier. Where Batroc was and Steve shows up. And Batroc says, I thought you were more than a shield. So hand to hand, Steve goes up against Batroc and wins. And I'm like, okay, well, Steve was a super soldier. Sam isn't. But Sam has wings and thrusters and all of this, and Batroc still kicks his butt. Well, to be continued. I mean, like, the fight sort of, like, he busts in, he breaks some glass, they throw some punches, but then he's got to go handle that helicopter you mentioned. Yeah, we finally get another big flying scene, which I predicted we would not get until the last episode, and here it is. It's all at night, though, which makes the CGI and all that easier to get by on. It's nowhere near as exciting as the canyon chase. Then... At one point, a police helicopter comes in just to immediately crash. I got confused. I'm like, did the chopper just go down with all the people on it? Oh, wait, that's a second chopper. Admittedly, I was watching that episode for the first time at five o'clock in the morning, but I felt like the action here, I just kept thinking about the end of Winter Soldier, where you had the multifaceted attacks. You had Sharon Carter and Sam versus... Frank Grillo in the Triskelion, and you had Steve versus Bucky on the Helicarrier, and you had Black Widow and Nick Fury with Robert Redford in the building, and, you know, you went go back and forth between dialogue and exposition and fighting, and it all worked so well that it felt like just this well-choreographed piece. And here I feel like this last episode is just jerky, stoppy, Here's some action that's okay. Uh, Now we're just going to kind of grind to a halt. Sharon's going to show up in a mask like we saw Black Widow wear in Winter Soldier. I don't know. I feel like this is more appropriate than WandaVision when it turns into a big fight at the end. Like that that kind of 
doesn't feel like the story that needed a bunch of lasers coming out of people's hands and magic powers and whatever. Here, I'm kind of expecting this. I'm not totally caught up by it, though. It's, it's not fantastic action that you must see. I, I felt that about the entire series, honestly. I've never felt like, even the Canyon stuff that you guys seem to love, I felt like was not as good as the big Marvel stuff. I understand this is a TV series, but they kind of build this as a big movie. They keep talking about how much they're spending on it. They're spending enough to make a Marvel movie, they say. And so I'm bringing Marvel Studios' expectations to the series. And it's not to say I'm hating it. It's just to say that I came in expecting a movie and I got a TV series and not a great one. I mean, I've seen episodes of Jack Ryan with much better climaxes. Yeah, let's let's cut through all of this. So basically, Captain America, well, Walker, the man that was that would be Captain America 2.0, now has a two-day growth, and he shows up. It's surprising to me that he kind of teams up with Bucky and... Well, that's when he has his turn. Like, he's made his own shield, and he goes after Carly first, but then... He's got a good heart. We're going to redeem this guy we've told you to hate the whole time because he's going to save that GRC bus. That surprised me. Yeah, he has a choice. He can go after Carly for revenge, but he sees that GRC bus is teetering off something. I mean, what the hell are they on? Yeah, it's like a skyscraper that's being built. It's like iron beams that have been welded together. But a skyscraper that's being built like underground because like they were driving on city streets and now suddenly they're overlooking (laughs) the skyscraper. Yes, I have no idea where they are. But whatever they're on top of, this van is teetering and Walker decides to go save the van. But man, this is one quick redemption. I'm like, one good act, and now Bucky and John are going to go off together to fight Flag Smashers. I think both of them should be harboring a bit of a grudge. And I think as an audience member, this is a little too fast of a redemption for Walker. I don't feel like it's a full redemption. I, I would, I agree with you. If this was like, he's now part of the team, that would be one thing. He's going to go off and be something else for someone that seems very, like, dubious as a force. He's not totally redeemed because it's still Sam that has to fly in and save that van. As it should be. I mean, right? I mean, we would feel cheated if, like, Sam wasn't... If this was about complex gray morality, no, you could have another guy, someone that was bad. Oh, you know what? I'm going to amend for that and save these people. This is so kitty. I don't think this is about complex morality. I think they... You said that! You said, look at how gray everything is. I think they've been telling us all along that Sam has heart. That he deserves this role, not because he's black, not because Steve gave him a shield, but because he's compassionate. And that's the kind of superhero we need for this era. But it's lip service compassion because he's still engaging in all these fights. Like he's been fighting throughout this whole series. I feel like he very clearly like does not kill people. He makes a point of grabbing people and and not killing them. Like, And he tries to not fight. Every single time he met Carly, he tries to talk her down. He's forced into fighting her. Gandhi didn't have to try to fast as a peaceful protest. He just did it. Like, again, if you're trying to say that power leads to corruption. Later on, they're going to say he's not Malcolm and he's not Mandela. This guy isn't Gandhi, but he's- He deserves to be Captain America is the takeaway message. This man has earned it above all the other people that we've seen because of the 
things that he's done and the, and the things he espouses. I guess it doesn't just feel natural enough to me. It feels like it's very much written that way. This is very much a script that we're going to follow, like a, a well-written thing. Like you just, it just feels natural. And here, I never doubt that Sam's going to be a good guy. Like I never feel like they put him in a real moral quandary. But isn't that true of Steve? Like, did we ever think that he was bad? No. Yeah, I think that Civil War put him in a big moral quandary, as did Winter Soldier, really, where he had to defy his government and go on the run against Robert Redford. But then Civil War, where he really had to choose between what his written duty is, his servitude. I was always on Steve's side. I never was one. I was never Team Downey Jr. Uh, See, I think that Captain America was given a lot of moral choices when he came to the modern era and realized things weren't the way he saw them back in the good old days of World War II. I feel like he did have a lot of complexity. As for me, I'm just taken out of it because trying to lift that bus, I understand that the Wakandans gave Sam some amazing tech, but his hands are his hands. Trying to lift a bus, he would be crushed in between the power. No, he's got a thruster. Like, that's keeping him airborne. No, but that would just crush his butt. He doesn't get stronger because of the thruster. It's just going to press him against it harder. He would be in a trash compactor. You want to know what really upset me about this outfit? His ears just distracted me. I think they might be fake like they did to J.D. Salinger's son (laughs) in Captain America the 1991, but those ears on that mask, really, and I mentioned that to Marjorie, I'm like, are those fake ears? And now she couldn't look at anything but the ears for the rest of the show. They wanted to match that comic book outfit, but man, cover your head. You're you're smashing through glass windows. They're going to kill Carly. And they're going to give it to the power broker to do because the power broker has been threatening to kill Carly for many episodes now. It's going to be Sharon that gets the bullet in Carly. But then Carly killed a lot of people by this point, and she was planning on killing a lot more. So when Sam descends in that pose like an angel from heaven, bringing forth her body, that's a really mixed message to me because she crossed over any moral ethical line into the point of where he's descending basically with Osama bin Laden and saying, hey, look what you did. Look what you did to Osama. The biblical angel bringing the body of Carly to those senators. Yeah, I see that as lionizing him. But why is he bringing her? He is bringing the idea that if we don't stop escalating this, more people will die. She is martyred for her cause, and he agreed with her politically. He didn't agree with her methods, but he made the point many times she's right on the issue of the refugees. Well, if you want to know the biggest problem I have with this movie's politics and this movie's pacing, all in one scene, watch this six-minute scene of Sam and the Senators, where Sam is going to make this long speech, and basically it boils down to do better. And the senators are like, well, what do you mean do better? Do you mean give these people their houses back? I, I don't have any answers for you guys. Just do better. Yeah. I, I don't have any, know anything. Mm, no, I, he's talking about money. He's saying you control the banks and you can do the borders and you can feed these people. They, they literally say, do you think government should be financially responsible for displaced? And he goes, yes, I do. Yeah, he's very socialist. 
like again, he's also very non-label. Like I feel like your socialist is a label that like he's really big government Captain America, whereas I feel Steve Rogers was a little government Captain America. I feel Steve Rogers was a little more libertarian. Steve Rogers was not a libertarian. Whereas this is government should be responsible and a parent entity to all of its citizens. I, I think he's just trying to get the uh, focus off of him because he's an Avenger and this is kind of their fault. <laughs> Because of the snap? Yeah. I'm telling you, I, I want the Avengers to do better after this. This isn't just something to tell the government the officials. The, this guy, I think he's just the senator of the GRC. I don't even know what that means. I think he's a senator who's on the GRC. Okay. Because the GRC is international. We see some people Skyping in and, you know, there's a lot of people Zooming. It's a, you know, it's COVID era committee. Socially distanced, yeah. Here is your chance. You have the senator's ear, but you have the viewer's ear to say something more than do better. What it reminded me of, I know both of you guys, I don't think you watch Saturday Night Live very much. No. But during the big recession, like the George W. Bush era recession, Keenan had this character that would come on the news segment and they'd be like, so what about the economy? Fix it! Well, how? Fix it! Don't stop till it's fixed! But how do you want them to fix it? I don't care! Fix it! I mean, that's basically what Sam is saying. I disagree with that. What he is asking for is compassion. You have not seen these people as people. I want you to think about it. Think about how terrified you were when you were in the van about to go over the edge. And now think about them. Like, this is the superhero for our times. This is the person that is going to assert that whatever you, your political bent is, let's put human rights and human lives at the forefront. That's the message. That's why he gets to be Captain America right now. I just think his speech rang very hollow. Platitudes. Because it was lacking specifics and the senators were acting specifics. And he's like, I don't know. Well, how would any writer address this? Like, I mean, you can have some sympathy of like, a speech isn't going to fix all of the problems that have been raised. That's There's no way to do that. What is this series really about? We need a new Captain America. We've shown you what a bad one can be. Now we're showing you a good one. And hopefully you will go to this new era and forget about Chris Evans. Yeah, and meanwhile, you know what I'm thinking this entire scene when I'm watching it for the first time? Is they're talking about America will never accept a black Captain America. And I'm like... Well, they might, but apparently Marvel will never give a black Captain America a movie because you made this a TV series. No, no. Captain America 4 is greenlit. Like, it, it was not announced until after this episode, and Anthony Mackie knows nothing about it. He came out and was like, nobody's told me about it. The guy at the store pulled up his phone and said it's happening. Marvel hasn't talked to me yet. Is it? Am I in it? I mean, come on. Like, yes. I... No, here I'm serious. Why does a black Captain America not get a movie? Why is this not a movie story of the new Captain America? Why is this a TV series? Yeah, I wish it was. I think this would be a really tight two-hour movie. Yeah, well, I, again, I, I have lots of thoughts about why that is, but you're seeing this as he's sitting on the back of the bus. Yeah, I am. I mean, Wanda and Vision wouldn't get a movie, and here they're saying he's Captain America. When this series ends, the end credit's gonna say, Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Like, he's no longer Falcon. He's now Captain America. Of course, this whole series, 
Bucky has wanted to not be the Winter Soldier. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> it should say Captain America and Bucky, not Captain America the Winter Soldier. But screw Sebastian Stan's arc. He's Falcon's Captain America now. And so we're going to say that. I feel if you really wanted to make a statement about a black Captain America being equal, this would be on a big screen. It's not about Captain America. We have already said many times, actually, maybe every time, Anthony Mackie has been in a Marvel movie. Boy, I like this guy, but Falcon is not big screen worthy. This was a Falcon movie. And now that that's done, he will get a big screen Captain America movie. And apparently there's a lot more going on. And I can't decide what they're doing for TV and what they're doing for movies or if it even matters anymore. But John Walker's being set up and told he's going to be a U.S. agent. And I love when he comes out. I mean, this is just a weird statement for a series all about race relations as he comes out of his new costume and he goes, it's the same thing, but it's black. Oh, I thought it was like a real get out moment where like it's still racism, even if you like adore black people because, oh, they're great athletes or whatever, great rappers. Like that's still a form of racism. You're still stereotyping them. So I I did think it was kind of a comment on that. Like, oh, I'm cool now because I got the black outfit. I mean, and look, in comics, the black outfit's always the best one. Like when Spider-Man gets that black outfit, that's awesome. I just think, I mean, he also says uh, he's happy he's back. This is like he has a purpose. He was looking there for a minute like I'm going to have all this super serum in my veins and nothing to do. And now I have the backing of some kind of agency. Yeah, I want to know what Val means when she's like, things are about to get mm-hmm. weird. Like, that that's such an odd statement to make. Weird. I have no idea where this could be going, if anywhere. I have an idea where it could be going, but I don't know why that idea would be weird. Meanwhile, all the other super people. So Cap's still alive and Winter Soldier is still alive. But anyone else with super serum in their veins is dead because Zemo's butler blows them up as they're being transferred to this water prison, the raft. By Cap, again, you mean John Walker's still alive because Captain America is Sam who does not have super soldier serum. Correct. Yes. Yes. I did like this moment. It caught me off guard. We see Flag Smashers getting locked up. But ah, one of those security guards, you know, whatever they say, one world, one piece, whatever their little slogan is. One world, one people. There you go. So, ah, the Flag Smashers are still around. And then, boom, they all die. And we got, yeah, Zemo's butler there. Yeah, I when I'm watching this the first time, I turn to Marjorie and go, who the hell is that? Because <laughs> we saw the butler a little bit on the airplane in, like, episode three. And he seemed doddering and silly. and Yeah, and Val knows Zemo was involved. And I know Zemo, he's got a thing with the Thunderbolts, so maybe that's where they're going, but it's weird that she knew he was involved as well. I don't know if she's working with him. She's even claiming maybe she's behind it all. So, again, that seems like part of the super team. You guys are teasing. Yeah, when Sharon Carter gets called out as the power broker, she never confirms it. It's always just implied, so I still think it's her, but... But Troc showed up again and overheard Carly call Sharon the power broker, and Carly apparently used to be Sharon's apprentice. Like, we knew Carly was in Madripoor. Oh, that's right. She lived in Madripoor for a while. Yeah. So Carly was working for the power broker and then betrayed the power broker by stealing that serum. We really did need an episode of, like, a flashback episode to just break down that whole... We needed a Carly episode. We needed to see that. It's just like, yeah, I didn't know who the butler was, but Zemo's happy. They took Zemo to the raft. I'm like, why is Zemo worthy of being on the raft? He does not have superpowers. The raft 
is a prison in the ocean where you put super beings. The Wakandas really don't like them. But you'd put Loki there. And again, I do think that they're trying to tell that the intent was we want him to be a new Tom Hiddleston. And I don't think they succeeded. But Loki is magic. No, no, I understand that. I'm talking exterior outside the logic of this universe. They're really trying to promote this as a fun character that we'll want to see again and again. And I do not feel that way. Hell, I don't even like Loki that much. <laughs> then you're really not looking forward to the next series. I gotta wonder, is Sharon gonna break him out? Like, she is, like, she's back with S.H.I.E.L.D., right? And she's gonna be an arms dealer now. She's there is no S.H.I.E.L.D. They say there's an opening in her old department. Her old department is S.H.I.E.L.D., but S.H.I.E.L.D. is gone. Okay, I took that as S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. <laughs> is she gonna go work for S.W.O.R.D.? I feel like they might have their hands busy after WandaVision. Where is she working? <laughs> <laughs> well, we know where she's really drawing a paycheck, and it will still be Madripoor, because she's not giving up dealing weapons illegally. In fact, she has new markets now, because <laughs> she's an American. Or, I'm gonna throw this out there, it's a theory I read online, is it an intergalactic arms deal? Is she a Skrull? Yeah, I've, I've heard hints at Secret Invasion, I've heard those hints, yeah. Uh, you guys know about these comic book storylines that mean nothing to me. I have no idea. Okay, if you tell me she is. Well, I mean, we know the Skrulls showed up in WandaVision because at the end, that one sword agent was a Skrull. But I feel like she wouldn't have had to use that mask to change her appearance. She would have just changed her appearance. Except she doesn't want to be caught out that way. I mean, you can't morph in front of Bucky. So who is she calling saying... We have uh, new things. Super soldiers are off the menu, but now we have arms and all of this. We know coming up at some point, probably next year, Sam Jackson is going to star in a Marvel TV series called Secret Invasion. Is this the start of that? Maybe. Wouldn't mean anything to me. If you're asking me, am I excited about the idea that all of this could be going to space... Well, no. I actually feel like I was fine staying here on Earth. Speaking of being here on Earth, I do have one last question. Did that boat subplot ever get resolved? Yes, they're not selling it. Uh, that they're not going to sell it. Okay, that I'm like, do they sell the boat ever? Do they fix it? Is it running? That was after boat montage number two. <laughs> Sam goes to paint over it. And his sister says, oh, we can't, because they called in all these favors from the neighbors, and so they were able to save the business, not through the banks, but through the community. Yes, and she didn't want to lose the family legacy. They tried to end on a note about legacy, and we see Sam continue that by going and picking up Isaiah and his grandkid and going to the Smithsonian and seeing that now they've they created a new exhibit where people will learn about his ill treatment. Kind of a downer, but good that people know. Isaiah said if the, the government would never let anyone know about him, they would kill him to keep covered up what they did to him and the others. And so Sam puts him in a museum. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that's cool. Like that, that is a nice resolution for this storyline. Honestly, I was really worried that Isaiah would put on some kind of unflattering suit and fight in this like last episode. <laughs> so this is a much better resolution for that. And uh, it kind of gives him a parallel story at the same time. Bucky has finally told his father figure, Yori, that he 
You know, he killed the son, and I don't know. That one's less clear. I'm not sure where Bucky's going, and I'm not sure what it means for his dating life or that that relationship anymore. I wish we'd gotten to see more of his confession scene. Yeah, he goes in there and he starts to talk to the old man, and then it just kind of cuts away. And I'm like, are you just assuming we know that the old man yelled and cried? I mean, yeah, I wanted to see Bucky have to process all again. This show never wants to process any of the issues it raises. Oh, here he goes. He's finally going to admit I killed your son. And then we're going to cut away. Like show us what the result is that he has to deal with this man's anger and process all that. And like, that would be a really great scene to have. But no, we're just going to cut away. Agreed. That was a moment that you had to dramatize. You absolutely couldn't end it with him peeking into the sushi restaurant and seeing the waitress was still taking care of the old man. No, this was about your atonement. We needed to hear the full-throated confession and apology, and we needed to know how it was received. And are you allowed to just send your government-mandated therapist a note and say, thanks, I'm done? <laughs> I finished the book, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He left He left his homework there so she could grade it. Yeah, well, maybe she'll come down to Louisiana and, and join the Cajun feast conclusion that they, they want to end on some kind of happy note that Winter Soldier, if that's what we're still calling him, Bucky and Captain America are friends now. If they weren't before... Arnie, in your plot summary, you implied that they're going to be working together. Do you think he is going to be the the sidekick character in Captain America 4? Bucky has no home. He has no friends. He has nothing but here. And Sam told him this is the most welcoming community on Earth. I think Bucky is home. And I think... Sarah is a possible mate. All right. and But more importantly, if he's going to be in another movie, it'll be with this Captain America. Yeah, I think so. I think anywhere Sam goes, Bucky will follow. So, Jacob, Stuart, do you recommend either the Falcon or the Winter Soldier? Jacob. I mean, I recommend the Falcon and the Winter Soldier as characters. I, I really like these two, and that's why I was looking forward to this series the most. Like, WandaVision, I wasn't really looking forward to that one. Loki, I don't even know what that's supposed to be. I watched that trailer. I was just confused afterwards. But no, this one, uh, I, I like getting back into that more real-world political intrigue, paramilitary stuff that... Captain America, the Winter Soldier, started to get into with the MCU. So I was excited to come to this. And look, I, I think, Stuart, is this a great show for eight-year-olds learning about race relations? Sure. I'm not eight years old, though. I want a little bit more. I want Disney to do better. And, and if you're going to bring up these kind of topics, I feel like you, you got to really dig your teeth into them. Because, look, if this is for eight-year-olds, then... I don't know. I could ask Stewart's pretend children if they like this because I'm not eight years old anymore. I'm an adult now. And I've liked a lot of this Marvel stuff because, yeah, it's popcorn blockbuster stuff, but it's fun. The action's good. The dialogue is snappy. And and then we get this. Put all those politics aside. I'm willing to do that because here's my problem that this is six hours with a whole lot of characters, and yet it feels very sparse. It feels like they don't know what to do with these characters, what to say, how to present them. We don't get backstories when we need backstories. There's a lot of telling, not a lot of showing. Again, show Isaiah Bradley's Korean War stuff. Show Actually show what he went through. Tell us who Walker was before he took up the shield. Like, tell us who Carly was. Like, the, 
everyone. I want to know who these characters are. You had six hours to do it and you failed to do that. Now, again, I said it was a struggle going week to week watching this just because nothing really hooked me. And when I watched it again, all binging it, I'm like, yeah, th this is kind of fine. Uh, it, it's it's well produced. You know, it, the writing isn't totally bad. Like I, I, I'm into a lot of the things that they're hinting at. But like when I look at it at a gut level, I'm just like, yeah, it, 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 it technically it's fine, but I just, I have so little feeling for this. Like I'm so ambivalent towards it. And it, again, it's not because of the politics. I, I think that's something that needs to be discussed with it, but it's because, yeah, I don't understand a whole lot of these characters, who they are. And I, I like Bucky. Like I liked delving into the PTSD and making amends. And then they drop the ball at the end. Like they don't show that moment that you need. And that's kind of this whole series in a nutshell. Like you, you need these moments where we learn to either care about the characters or, or see that they're more complex than they were originally presented. It, it kind of fails to do that. So again, on, on Technically, it's fine, but when I on a gut level, like if someone said, "Hey, should I watch this?" I feel like you'd be like, mm, "No," unless you really super love Marvel. No, and and so I'm gonna go with a week, not recommend. Stewart, and I would say another satisfying, artistically successful Disney show, like second in a row. But I'll I'll give you this much: Wandavision showed how the universe fit within a serialized TV format, and Falcon and Winter Soldier definitely struggles to justify its story in the six installments. It's it's unwieldy. It's got scope. It's got stakes. I did like getting updates on forgotten supporting characters. Sharon Carter particularly. I really liked what they did with her. But no, did we need to spend all that time with Zemo and the Wakandans? Did we need to travel to so many different places? Did they get to where they were going with that boat? Like, there's so much about that boat, but it ends up turning into bloat. And I really did think that this would have been better served as a movie and not a series. But even with its most indulgent moments, I do think they do, for my money, an incredible balancing act between adult topical discussions on real-world politics while still, you know, remembering to have fun and remember that this is an all-ages audience and to never let the speechifying become overpowering to the entertainment value. And again, I was worried that creating content for Disney Plus would mean some kind of compromise, that Marvel would never have another Captain America 2 Winter Soldier. And rest assured, these these action scenes are as violent and, and hard-hitting as any that I've seen up on the big screen. So I, I feel like Marvel is thriving in this format. And look, all it had to do was set up Anthony Mackie to be the next Captain America. And I look forward to his era easily. To not disrespect anything that Chris Evans did, I'm really looking forward to seeing what this guy is going to do in the character. He will hopefully have a great solo movie. And I even like Bucky Barnes more, too. I'm glad that they retired that Winter Soldier shtick. And I look forward to him maybe developing a little bit more fun in life and being a little bit more lighthearted companion, if that's what he's intent to do. So... Some of the production values flagged. The pacing was, was messy, as I will just add most TV series are. But overall, I thought it was a successful endeavor, and I solidly recommend it. I'm going to kind of split the difference between you two. I mean, I agree with you, Jacob, that this movie's message, while trying to feel timely, the way it's delivered feels dated. Like... 
the way 1980s television would deal with racism and things. It's a little bit more hard-hitting than that by dealing with the Tuskegee Airmen and stuff, but, you know, in the end, it's like, racism's bad, and there's racism out there, and Sam's just gonna rise above it, and he says, I feel people judging me now. We don't see that. We see... One guy go, that's a Black Falcon, and the other goes, no, that's Captain America. We don't see a single person go, who's that black man pretending to be? We don't see any of that, but we're told it's out there. I, I think the show pulls a lot of punches where it needed to punch if it was go going to try to convey the message it does. And I agree with Stuart that the pacing on this is a little messy, and I've said throughout this show... There's a lot of talking going on and not a lot of showing. And it's really on a week to week basis. I found the whys hard to follow because the whys all are told to us in conversations in graveyards and bunkers. And I mean, again, the fact that we have no idea who this Donya Madani is who died that was so important, it's messy and it. <laughs> It made me think of what Sam is saying to the senators. I'm saying this to Marvel. Do better. You really can do better. I came into this thinking, you know, WandaVision, that was a fun little experiment. I liked it. It was the best Marvel show yet. But wait till we get to real Marvel with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And what I ended up feeling this was like was Iron Man 2. If you remember Iron Man 2, and I understand if you don't, Stuart. I do. I mean, it's not like I wasn't there. <laughs> I saw that movie a couple times. So, yeah, I remember that there was a, it was a, I thought it was a fun little movie, and then something happened halfway through, and it, it just kind of stopped. And they were trying to stuff too much in it. They had to introduce S.H.I.E.L.D. They had to introduce Thor's hammer and why Phil Coulson was going. And they had to introduce Black Widow. And there was so much in service to future movies that it compromised the current one. And here, I feel like with John Walker and Val and the power broker and all of that, how much of that was needed for this story? And how much of that was Marvel saying, now you gotta put hooks in for Secret War and for this show and that show and you know i feel like a season two of this is far more possible than a season two of wandavision but they say they're doing a movie we will see but whatever they do i know marvel can do better which isn't to say this is bad like iron man 2 itself it's very flawed but I mean, I mentioned earlier, I don't put on Ant-Man or Doctor Strange or Captain Marvel regularly for fun or really ever, especially Thor The Dark World. <laughs> and this just kind of goes in that pile with Ant-Man. It's like, it's fine, but I love Falcon. I love Anthony Mackie. I love Sebastian Stan and the Winter Soldier. I mean, and I'm saying these as separate entities. When I see them in as themselves i love sebastian stan and anthony mackie when i've seen them in their movies i've loved falcon i've loved winter soldier and here i like seeing them i i like zemo i like his dancing i like seeing these people again i just wish that this could get my pulse racing a fraction of what 
the Winter Soldier movie or the Civil War movie or anything else that these guys have been in could do. I mean, I can give this a weak recommend. I think there's some interesting bits in here. I think there's some good hooks. I like the stuff done with U.S. Agent. I really like Julia Louise Dreyfus's five minutes in it. <laughs> I enjoy the banter. I don't think there's enough banter, but during the bantering scenes with Bucky and Sam, like when at the end, you know, when they say we're not partners, no, no, not partners, uh, co-workers, you know, this is why I think Bucky and Sam are going to be together is they're now like this buddy duo. But I wish there was more of that there. At the end of the first episode, my wife, like you, Jacob, said, why are they calling this Falcon and the Winter Soldier? They never even met. And I'm like, this was the first episode. We got five more. Let's give them their setup. I'm sure this is going to happen, you know? And each week, I found myself being an apologist for this. Like, well, you know, we don't know really who the Flag Smashers are, but hey, let's give it the next week and we'll see what happens. It's It ended up letting me down, but not being bad. It's something that if I were Marvel marathoning, I wouldn't dread. I'd watch it again if, you know, there's ever an Avengers 5 and this matters because U.S. agents and Val are in it or something. Yeah, I'd watch it again and probably enjoy it. And it is so much better binged than week to week. That is, I have to third that statement because you can remember more. But it's a weak recommend, but Marvel... Do better. Well, maybe they will. What's next? Loki and Black Widow? Yeah, and I'm I I'm surprised you guys are both a little iffy on Loki, because to me, if Terry Gilliam was to do a Marvel TV series, I think Loki would be it. If he was doing that, I'd be super excited. I don't like Loki the character. I haven't even seen the trailer. I have no idea what the show is, and I don't intend to until I'm pushing play. It just is reminding me of Time Bandits in some ways, just because it's Loki traveling all through dimensions and whatnot. And I mean, it's Tom Hiddleston, so there's a hill to get up, but I, you know, I can imagine doing it. Again, I think that Disney Plus series are the right place for these Marvel stories. I feel like it's working for them. It's Black Widow that I worry about. Black Widow came out with new trailers. If you were afraid of the jokey Russian stuff, the two new trailers they released have none of that. So oh, good. Okay. I haven't seen them. I, I'll see the movie soon enough. Yeah. We're actually going to have to go to theaters for... Actually, no. You can pay, what is it, $20 or $30 to watch that on Disney Plus? So that won't be happening. Plus, <laughs> I'd like to get back to a theater. But you should join us this Friday as our David Fincher thriller retrospective series kicks off with Seven. Yeah, it's a much requested movie. I think uh, the next level after Silence of the Lambs in the serial killer genre. We're going to be getting to that next week because we're going back to Saw. Uh, the, probably a whole series that was born from Seven uh, now has a latest installment called Spiral with uh, – Chris Rock, of all people. And Sam Jackson. <laughs> oh, yeah. Interesting. So, yes, next week we will be spiraling back to Saw. But this Friday, if you are a gold donor of $25 or more, either through our patron feed or directly to us via PayPal, you're going to get 10 bonus shows in addition to the silver shows we've already done and the platinum shows We've got 10 more bonus shows this donation series for gold level, starting with seven. 
ending with Gone Girl and having a lot of dragon tattoo girls in the middle. So you can find the details and the release dates of each of these shows at nowplayingpodcast.com. And there's going to be a lot of Marvel movies. I mean, we got Shang-Chi. We just got the trailer for that one. Eternals. I keep wanting to call it Immortals, but that was a really bad Tarsine movie. I just keep wanting to call it Inhumans. That's the bad feeling I have off of it. But hey, one day or another, I think we'll finally see the Avengers Assemble! Thank you for listening to this episode in the now-playing Avengers Retrospective Series. Lucky for us, we got the best seats in the house. Part of our Marvel Comics Movie Retrospective Series. Your work has impressed a lot of people who are much smarter than I am. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We're adjourned. We're adjourned for the day. Okay. You've been a delight. Head to NowPlayingPodcast.com to hear reviews of all the Marvel Cinematic Universe films. From Iron Man to Guardians of the Galaxy to Endgame, we've reviewed every Marvel film at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Good luck keeping up. And while at our website, you can find reviews of other Marvel movies, including the Fox X-Men, Deadpool, Daredevil, and Fantastic Four films, New Line Cinema's Blade Trilogy, The Punisher movies, Sony's Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, and Venom films, and dozens more. I'm bringing the party to you. You can also find reviews of every DC Comics movie, plus hundreds of other movie reviews of series like A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Fast and the Furious, Ghostbusters, Jurassic Park, and more. Find over 1,000 in-depth movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. Therefore, what I'm saying, if I'm saying anything, is welcome back. Subscribe to Now Playing on your podcast app of choice and get an all-new movie review every single week. We're going to knock their socks off. Want even more Now Playing reviews? By being a Now Playing patron or donor, you can get two reviews each week. Is it too much of a problem to ask? Because I'm, I'm... Okay, okay. I really need your help here. Now Playing is an independent podcast without any sponsors or ads. We rely on listener support to keep our show going. Are you going to step up or not? Donate to our show, and as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Supporters get perks including bonus podcasts every Friday, the ability to listen to us live, and you can even pick a movie for us to review and join us on the podcast. We need heroes. We need you. Find all the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. It's a small price to pay for salvation. You can also compare notes with us on Letterboxd. Go to letterboxd.com forward slash now playing to see what our hosts are watching when we're not recording podcasts. 
and follow Now Playing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. It's strange. Maybe. Who am I to judge? Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret, Cat. I'm always angry. Associate produced by Jason Latham. He's pretty good, that. Right? Now Playing is edited by Arnie. All right, let's start over. You can edit it. Three, now playing credit narration by Brock. Are you making your voice deeper? No. You <gasps> he are. just did it again. The this is my voice. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Venganza Media Incorporated. Just stick to the official statement and soon this will all be behind you. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. You really think that just because you have an idea, it belongs to you? Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Hey, fellas. Hey, wait, where are you going? I've got so many more stories to tell. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2021. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Any last words? What's becoming evident is that everything will eventually be sucked up into this Marvel universe. Everyone and everything eventually will have some identity connected to MCU. Stuart, there's going to be a version of you in the Marvel universe. You better start paying attention. Mm, yeah. They're going to run out of people to hire. They're going to hire you to be in the Marvel universe. <laughs> I mean, how many people are left? They're hiring like 30 people per TV series. They're going to run out of actors. So he's basically Vince McMahon, though, instead drugs, steroids. Yeah, somehow <laughs> they were able to imagine an even more evil version of Vince McMahon.